In the words of the legendary Lou Gellerman, hello, dog fans, and welcome to the Sound the Siren podcast. I am not your host. I'm Dog Process, but I am joined tonight by your actual host, Hooligan7, uh, UWF Mac, and DJ K. Woody. So, Hooligan, take it away. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome yeah. to, uh, to a little bit of a different episode, but as always, we'll start uh, past the roll call here with beverages of choice for the evening. Uh, DJ, I'll kick it over to you. What, what are you sipping this evening? You caught me off guard. I, I just, I'm just sipping some water tonight. I, yeah, just my bad. Sorry. Thank you, everyone. Uh, I'll jump in. I have got one that I'm trying from Standard Brewing, the Part-Time Pirate Sweet Stout. Uh, not bad, uh, although it's probably a little uh, something that our, the former Washington State head coach would appreciate. <laughs> Mac, how about you? I like, the, I like the Part-Time Pirate, by the way. It's not a full-time pirate. You didn't get a full-time job. Part-time. I got a bootjack IPA. Nice, nice. And of course, without further ado, DP. Here we go. So I think uh, last time I reviewed the uh, the Minute Maid Fruit Punch. Well, this time I went back to the well, but it, it's the uh, the Minute Maid Tropical Punch. And I, I think my critique was that the, the Fruit Punch was a little watery, didn't really have the punch port. Say that I don't know what they did different with the Tropical Punch, but it's a massive upgrade. Uh, I think we got we got pineapple, we got uh, grape, we got passion fruit, we got orange juice. It's it, this is it's a really good drink. I, I will be honest with you, it's a really good drink. It has the punch, it has the fruit, and honestly, I, I couldn't stop drinking it. So it's it's going to be a solid seven point five or eight out of ten for me. It, it's a, it's a really good drink. Might need to make uh, make note of that one for the for the pod tailgate in some way, shape, or form, whether that's spring game or. Uh have a mixer or a non-alcoholic beverage on hand for, for any that choose to partake in it. Yeah. Um, Jimmy said there could be fans there. Hey, I'm, hell yeah. I'm there if we can. May 1st, that's two weeks and change before I have some things to celebrate. So, uh, um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to be able to hit the spring game for sure. Uh, That'd be will, awesome. I do, yeah, I do want to call out that this week's episode is going to be a little different as we're going to be recording in two separate sessions. This discussion on a couple of football topics in the men's hoop discussion is being recording being recorded Wednesday night, March 3rd. Um, and then related to uh, our continuing segment on the skeletons in our front yard or on the court and on the field, here's hoping the final game of the win error is happening right now with much more on this in the latter part of the episode being recorded Friday, March 5th in a discussion with our second special guest contributor and UW Twitter celebrity, UW Leah, uh, also introducing, uh, with a quick shout out to, to our missing member, J-Cap, uh, the initial uh, continuing segment of Fuck the Fuck Off. This one goes out to uh, our former head football coach, Steve Zarkeesian, and YouTube selling players essentially to just put up with Eyes of Texas. Hey, Steve, the Eyes of UW fans are still on you, and we still think you're a scumbag. I also want to just quick question for recruits. Is this really the alumni network that you want to be tied to that, tell, that are essentially telling you to shut up and just deal with it? Anybody else have some uh, nominations for FTFOs? Steve Sarkeesian. Double down on that for sure. Like the Tim, all, all Scott, no breaks bullshit. Like. And you yeah. said it well, Hooligan. I think, like, do you really, if you're a kid, is that really where you want to go build your network to set you up for your life as a pro, your life is in, in your career after being a pro? I think, and we, talk, we talked about this, like, the, 
you know, however you feel about the fight song and whatever controversy you might think, or you might think, hey, that's a reach to thoughts are there. Like the booster comments that have come out over the last couple weeks, like that says everything, whether or not you think the fight song, you know, is racist or isn't or has the roots that does whatever. The booster comments speak for themselves, and I think that that's pretty damning evidence, I think. Yeah, uh, I think a good example of that, you, the, the Caden Stearns tweet on Twitter, I think, went kind of viral. But basically, for those who didn't see it, is he said that basically he and other players who, who weren't with the song um, or weren't with the lyrics or whatever, they were threatened by boosters saying, like, if, if you don't get with, with the lyrics, we, we won't give you like a job or we won't give you a spot in our like kind of booster job area. Um, and I, I think kind of F Mac touched on that. It, it's not a good point in terms of the, the culture down there. It kind of demonstrates that they want guys to play football, but they don't really care about the players themselves. And I think that's a pretty damaging thing in terms of a culture to go play in. If that, that's just my. Yeah. DJ, you have any thoughts on that? I don't. I mean, I kind of agree with what you guys are saying already. I, I don't know a ton about the song or the history of it, to be completely honest. But I'm with F Mac on like the boosters and what they're saying. Like, you just can't be saying that right now. It's inexcusable. Yeah. So that's the thing that stands out the most without knowing a lot about the song itself. Hey, but your lady sure. dogs—they're up 13 right now. This may not be her last game. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. They, although they they've had a bit of a tendency to to show up early and then fade away late. Um, I think in actually in the first game against Colorado this year they were up at the half and then ended up losing by ten. So, yeah, she may coach tomorrow, but here's hoping that if it's not tonight, the end of the error comes soon, and and we'll give you a ton of detail on why um, on Friday and then the latter part of this episode. All right, moving into the football topic, certainly one of the hot issues uh, of the last week or so has been the decommitments of Sir Mel's and Anthony Jones. Um, I certainly, as I've had a chance to step back from it, uh, I get it. It's, it. Certainly, it's an unprecedented recruiting cycle. I don't want to use it as, as an excuse, and I think that, you know, there's too much a tendency to say, hey, well, you know, it's COVID, so you can't really hold the same expectations. I don't think that's it. But it's like, you know, it's, good. it's it's a monumental decision. They're 16 and 17 years old. They haven't had a chance to really go look around and find the best fit. Um, I think we're still high in consideration for both players. Um, you know, numbers-wise, if, if Jones wants to play tight end, that, that could be a three tight end class. But I think he's the kind of athlete to, um, that that's certainly something that consideration can make it work. Um, but anybody else have any thoughts on DJ? Go ahead. Yeah, so I'm one of those guys when bad things happen like that, it's the end of the world. Everything everything sucks. But yeah, Sky you know, is after, falling. yeah, exactly. Like after stepping away from the ledge a little bit, you know, kind of getting my thoughts and trying to think about it more. I mean, yeah, I mean obviously it's frustrating. And you know, and you can make a case like it's it could even be more frustrating than losing a pair of like high four stars because it's like oh three stars some like high three stars but i mean they're they might be a little underrated probably jones especially but it's like that's that's pretty concerning that they don't even want to come here but it's 
it's not the end of the world. They're, they're young. They haven't even visited unofficial visits that is yeah and as you're saying it's like it's a different year and it's you know with dealing with COVID and it's really early on they're still high on us it's not like they said f you like we're done we're moving on and yeah there's still other guys out there that uh, one of them in particular i think is better that we could still be on but it just kind of sucks that i'm assuming because we're going to have such a small class i'm assuming that we kind of probably stopped recruiting a lot of these other guys. And so that's, that's the biggest concern for me is, okay, how far behind are we on some of these other recruits that are out there? But yeah, I mean, I don't blame Sermels and Jones, you know, it's their choice, their decision, but just hope it's, hope it's not a trend for us. DP. Yeah. Look, kids will be kids. Um, you know, you can't expect every 16 and 17 year old to be making the best decisions for them all the time. Um, I, I do think that there's still obviously like a chance that they uh, end up at, at UW, which I think would be uh, overall positive thing. I think Hooligan, you touched on whether Jones is a, a take at tight end or not. I think he's the kind of, of talent who's a take either way. You say, look, we'll give you a shot at tight end. We'll give you a shot on, on defense and, and we'll see where you're the best fit. But it's the kind of guy you want to get into your program. Uh, Mills, obviously, he'd be. I, I touched on this in the recruiting one. I, I think he'd be a good guy to get. Um, I, I'm a fan of his. I like his character a lot. You know, obviously, it sucks to to lose those two guys with all the offers coming in. I, I get it, and I know it's a bad recruiting period. It's still, I think, guys that you shouldn't really lose. And I think what hurts about it is that, like, we didn't really get the commitments under CP, right? It, it wasn't a thing. Um, but one of the things is, a lot of times you expect stuff like this to happen a high profile recruitment's kind of like dj touched on where you have like the reuben foster he's going here he's going here he gets this tattoo whatever um but these are guys like talent eval early got on them early offered them early committed them early you think okay we got these guys and they're going to be the guys who jump up the rankings later well it turns out that they're not in the fold anymore maybe we still reel them back in but they're not going to be the 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 classic UW committee who starts as a three-star, ends as a four-star, and then they come in, and everyone's like, wow, this guy was really good the whole time. Yep. And I do also think that one other – oh, go ahead, FMAC. Oh, no, go ahead. Again. I'll, I'll hold. Go ahead. I was just going to say that, that I think one other factor is that these are also players at the two positions, um, at least, you know, when you look at Jones potentially playing Bach for us that, that was impacted by Coach K leaving to go to Texas – the shift in that, you know, Rick Rowan is our D-line coach, and that's who, you know, would be Sir's position coach. I said a little weakness to, to coaching the box. Um, so it's just an adjustment in their relationships. Um, I think I, I certainly, based on early impressions and the response to, to Rick being promoted, um, I have some faith and some confidence, or at least some, there's some appearances. There are some appearances that he could be a good uh recruiter and then certainly a kike has proven it across uh you know the defensive tackle position and he's got experience back there but uh, go ahead Mac. that was all i was going to say yeah so I, I think we still have a good chance of these guys and i i think you know i'm i'm with you dj like i was initially kind of pissed off about it uh but then after kind of you know cooling off and thinking about it, it was like hey you know the knock on the cp era recruiting is that hey, we don't throw out that many offers. We kind of wait on guys. We don't offer them early. And we kind of lament the fact that, like, Oregon or whoever, like, does, like, they're, like, hyped and they get recruits excited and they sell. 
And that's exactly what we did with these guys. We got them all on a visit together. We got them all excited. We got them hyped and we got them to commit. And then we, you know, and the flip side of that coin is that, yeah, you get guys excited early. You get them to generate, you know, lots of feels about UW and you sell it great. And then they, and then they realize that they made a decision too early. Like that's not an uncommon thing, especially for, you know, 16, 17 year old kids. And so I think this is the flip side of that coin. So, I mean, I, I do think like we need to, we do need to figure out how to play the game and and stay the course with these kids. If we really think they're great, we shouldn't be surprised that once we offer them, there's going to be a swarm of a bunch of other programs that are all of a sudden are interested and see our talent eval and agree with it. So I think we, you know, we shouldn't be surprised about it. I don't think it's a knock on the coaches that these kids had a, you know, are saying, Hey, I want to let the process play out. Um, but I think we do need to figure out how to stay the course and amp up our recruitment of them if we do really want them. Yeah, I think one thing that you kind of touched on there, FMAC, is, is that this is kind of like something that might come along with more like early offers and the hype recruiting. So my question would be, how do you toe the line between, I guess, the CP era and then kind of the, the more like flashy brand? And where do, you, where do you get to a point where you're still getting the the evaluations and you're still getting locked in commitments, but you're also able to offer an ID guys early and get commitments early, get those guys locked in and benefit from that hype. So where do you get to a point where you're still a commitment is a commitment and an offer is an offer and you're IDing talent better than anybody, but you're also able to generate the hype that you need to get those high caliber players that we maybe weren't getting under CP. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's a great question. I, I think it's going to be a learning process for Jimmy, right? Like I think he's trying to push the boundaries of what he understood and what the CP process was in terms of offers. And I think he's trying to push that boundary. You see us definitely pushing like the geographic boundary. Like we're pull, we're trying offering guys from Tennessee and, you know, from, we draw, you know, Aller from Ohio, or I think he's from Ohio. Um, so we're, I think he's trying to push the, the, that boundary a little bit. I think it's going to be a learning process for him. Um, and to me, that's okay. I, I, I honestly like that we're taking chances. We're trying to pull in guys like Al or we're trying to get kids. Um, someone is a Poyer that's from Tennessee. Keep me honest on the name, um, the DB from Tennessee, but like, I love that we're, we're, we're being aggressive. We're going after, we're not saying like, Oh yeah, there's no way we could get that kid. He's on the East coast. Like, fuck that. I love that we're going into someone else's backyard and trying to pull talent like that. I think Jimmy's going to have to figure out how do you, you know, how do you balance the, you know, a commitment means an offer means an offer and a commitment means a commitment. He's going to have to balance that with this kind of new style that he's trying to, I think he's trying to work in. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. Miles Pollard is the kid from Tennessee. And uh, I've said it a couple of times, I think, and I said it on our recruiting pod that I love his film. Like he just, the first highlight he being kill somebody like <laughs> it's literally a, just a holy, sh- holy shit moment like a big big one at daytona um all right i think we can go ahead and move on to uh, football topic number two we actually have a schedule finally thank you pack 12 um early impressions early you know thoughts uh, from you guys on, on the football schedule and, and kind of what you guys expect go ahead dp yeah so i, I saw a comment on twitter which was like, hey, what the heck? Arizona and Stanford back-to-back, and then Oregon? What is this bullcrap Pac-12? And uh, look, at, at the end of the day, 
you, you play the games that are in front of you and you win the games that are in front of you, in front of you, you don't complain, right? If you have a complaint about your schedule, go win the game. Uh, in 2016, we had we had Stanford and Oregon back-to-back and we complained about that. And then we went out there and we beat the brakes off both of those teams, right? And, and so if we, if we want to be a legitimate contending team, you can't complain because you get Arizona and, and you get Stanford and you get Oregon. Like you, you go out there, you win the games, winners win, losers lose. It's as simple as that. Yeah, just going to say one thing. Run the fucking table. That's what we got to do. No, I'm going to... Yeah, uh, going off a little bit more with that, but kind of diving in a little bit without going too in-depth about the schedule. I mean, yeah, it's, it's all there. Like, we have five home games. We have home games against our rivals. Like, and we're not facing USC or Utah which is two of the top, maybe three teams in the South. So, yeah, it, it's all there for us. We can't make excuses. Yeah, I mean, there's a tough, there's a tough stretch in there. Uh, we kind of talked before, but there's always going to be a tough stretch. It's never going to be a cakewalk. And, yeah, we just, we just got to come out and play and not, you know, not come out in the second half and start playing. We come out, play from the very beginning. And if we do that, like, we're – arguably the most talented, if not one of the most talented teams in the Pac-12, and we should be able to win every game. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think we need to kind of get out of our own way and just, like like you were saying, DJ, it's what we did in the second half against Stan Utah, what we did to start the game against Arizona, just bring that and kick fucking ass. Um, I said it on Twitter today, too, like, Hopefully by the fall we can get fans and get a full capacity Husky Stadium. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm gonna bring it like out because of, of missing it for a year. Um, it just needs more now. All right, on to men's basketball. Uh, and what the hell happened? How the hell did we get here? Who wants to lead off on telling this story? Go ahead, DP. All right, so let me let me take you back to a magical time uh, in, in the history of Husky basketball when we had Michael Porter and we had Jonte Porter and we had Dejon Davis committed. And, you know, maybe Lorenzo Romar was struggling, but we were like, you know what? Give him another year, right? We got all these guys. But Jen Cohen says, you know what? We're, we're not going to do that. And she fires Lorenzo Romar. And you know what? I, I think she gets credit for that decision. I don't, I don't think it was the wrong decision. Um, I don't remember how many games we won that year, but I think we had Markel Fultz and went like five and 23, if I'm correct, or something like that. It was, it was bad. You have the number one player in the country and and you can't win 10 games. Um, so, so I I don't think there was a problem with that decision. Obviously the Bromar was recruiting on a high level, but we, we, we weren't getting the problem on court. The problem is not with the firing. We hire Mike Hopkins, right? He, he takes Romar's guys year one. Uh, big big improvement, right? We're, we're like, wait, this team can kind of compete a little bit. We don't make the tournament, but we're like, you know what? We're, we're not bad. Next year, we have Matisse Thibel, we have uh, Jalen, and we, we have a good team. We, we make the tournament, and we, we have a great year, and everything's looking up. And we're like, you know what? We, we've got Jaden coming in. We've got Isaiah coming in. We just made the tournament. Everything is looking great. Mike Hopkins is going to be here for 20 years he, he, until he goes back to Syracuse after uh, Bayheim retires. You know, every, everything's looking great. And then we had the Jaden and Isaiah year. And after Quade got banged for his academics, we didn't have good guard play. 
And since then, just not really much has gone right. I think we're sitting at what we're five and 16 this year, or we're five and 20 this year. We're five and 20 this year. Um, it, this is all hops guys. It's hops problem at the, at this point there, there's not, not really much positive you can say about where the program's at right now. Yeah, I'll, I'll go next. I mean, uh, I have a lot to say about this topic and I think we'll touch on some things in a little bit, so I won't go all out on everything, but I'm, I'm a big basketball guy. That's, that's my favorite sport. I mean, football is right there. I probably actually enjoy watching football, but like playing basketball is my sport, but yeah, I, when going back to what DP was saying with Lorenzo Romar, I was actually one of the people that was not happy with the firing of Lorenzo Romar, mostly just because of that class that was, that was coming in all those guys that we had coming in for with Michael Porter to his brother, you know, we had, Dejon Davis is going to say, yeah, yeah, with Jalen Noel ended up sticking with us. But yeah, I was unhappy. But then, you know, I maybe even a year later, but definitely two years later, I was willing to admit, and I did to people I knew that I was wrong. Okay, Hopkins was probably the right choice. But now it, it, he's, he's obviously not yep. the right choice. <laughs> and so I don't know if anyone is right in that, like, he probably Romar probably should have been fired. Yeah. Yep. But Hopkins shouldn't have been hired either. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot in his coaching that I don't like. He, the, the zone is, that's whatever it's worked for him. So I, I get that he runs that he should have gone man to man more often sooner. Some little things with his coaching is like, you know, there was a play earlier this year, where we were shooting free throws, and on the second free throw miss, it went right to Jamal Bay, hit him, hit the ball, hit him in the chest, but he wasn't even paying attention, and he didn't get the ball. And that's and, just coaching. Yeah, that's coaching. That's all it is. And, you know, being, like, super in-depth with basketball, there's little things like ball screens that they have at the top of the key. The guys, the guards don't know how to use those ball screens. They don't get, they go off bad angles. They don't go shoulder to shoulder. And that's coaching and it's just really frustrating to watch all these guys and because it's not talent i mean looking at the roster uh there's i don't know how many i mean quad a greens former five star uh trying to go through what i had earlier uh yeah quad a green former five, five star uh the tra- i can't even pronounce the last name from michigan bejama four star yeah yeah battle I think he was listed at four star, but Jamal Bay is a four star. Jerome Brooks four star. Yep. Uh, Wright's a four star, and so there are it's five. not talent. What's that? There are five former top one hundred guys in there. Yep. And so I mean, yeah, maybe they shouldn't. I'm not saying they should be winning the Pac-12, but they should have at least a winning record, if not better. Like it's not talent; it's it's coaching, and yeah, that. Yeah, and one thing to point out too is right in 2018 we we had like like the year the great team. One thing you think about is when you look at how well Matisse Thybul has defended in the NBA. That dude is like a legitimately if he had even a decent game on offense, he would be an all star level player right now. His defense is that good. Like 
people talk a lot about Ben Simmons on the Sixers. Matisse's defense has been just as good in terms of advanced numbers and in terms of just steals and blocks per 36. He, he's unreal, right? And and he, in, in the 2-3 zone, the thing about having a really long, athletic, switchable defender is it can cover up a lot of blemishes in terms of coaching. And so having that guy at the top of your zone makes it look a lot more effective than maybe it really was. And we found that the hard way when we have Jaden, who's actually been a pretty solid defender in the NBA, we, we weren't able to have the same caliber of defense just without Matisse. Like the, like the drop-off, if you look at uh, numerically, the drop-off between 18 and 19, where Jaden like McDaniels has been, in terms of on-off rating, one of the better defenders in the NBA this year. And with him in the fold, we were still not able to come close. And, and that that's really an indictment on coaching, especially with Isaiah Stewart, who's obviously, you know, Having a, big, a great defensive big man is one of the biggest things you can do for a great defense. Look at the best defenses in the NBA. You got the Jazz, you got the Bucks, you got the Sixers with Giannis, Rudy Gobert, and Embiid. That's not a coincidence, right? Yep. Isaiah Stewart was not a bad defensive big man. Jaden McDaniels is obviously a, a good defender, as I touched on. Still wasn't able to have a good defense. The only year he is really able to have a good team is when he had Matisse Thibel, who is a generational college defender, carrying his own. And with Jalen Noel, who who was a stud closing yeah. out games, yeah. scoring the ball. Exactly. And that was the only year he was able to like really, really get a legitimately good team. Yep. And those weren't even, I mean, you can maybe count Noel his guy, but yeah, I mean, yeah, they weren't really his guys either. So yeah, that's, yeah. Thibault, he was insane at the top of that zone. I don't know if we're ever going to see anyone like that. And yeah, he's still killing the NBA and, Shout out to all the guys killing it from, in the NBA. From your dad, there's there's a yes, few sir. that are doing pretty well. Dejounte Murray, big time shot yeah. the other night against the Nets. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's he's averaging like fifteen seven and five or something like that. One of the most underrated players in the NBA, right there. Again, guys, a stud. To F McIntyre, your wheelhouse is our uh, marketing armchair consultant. Like again, if the department was marketing at the programs the way they should, when we talk about built for the league, that's football. Look at UW's history of what we're putting in the league in the NBA. Like, if there was a professional softball league, we'd be killing it. Or, or if there was more a more prominent professional softball league, we'd be killing it. Um, you know, the WNBA champion have a Husky grad on their team. Or, or uh, she just got traded to the Liberty. But uh, go ahead, FMAC. Yeah, and this goes back to what I heard uh, Jen say. I think it was on the Softy show or something like that. But she said that, like, we're not built for one and dones, which is a joke. Like, why would you even say that? Huh? It's not. It's not true. Like, we even though we didn't, even though we didn't win a bunch of games when we had Isaiah and we had Jaden, like they were both first round picks. Like, we can, you know, whether or not we end up, and and guess what? Like, you if you go that route, you still have off years. Look at Duke this year. Look at Kentucky. You're not going to put it together every single year if you go with one and done, and that's okay. Like you have to be willing to live with that, but to, to make the blanket statement that, Oh yeah, we're not a one and done program. That doesn't work for us. Then. Okay. Then what the fuck are you doing hop? Because how many years are we in now? Like you've had enough time to build your roster for the style of play that you want. And this is the worst this team has ever been. It's- like that's the, that's the, that's the disconnect for me. And again, I don't follow college basketball as much. Um, or I, I follow it. I just don't know as much about it. But, like, you've had a chance to build the roster the way that you want to. This is your program now, Hop. Like, you're in, you're into year four here. 
and you've gotten progressively worse every single year. I've gotten yep. worse every single year. And so you would expect to see a little bit of turnaround and we're not seeing it. Like mm-hmm. the guys that were the guys that really shined in the system so far, like we're not his guys. Yeah, really. It, and, and the quintessential question, which you kind of touched on of college basketball is, do you go for the one and done talent or do you go for, you know, for your guys, guys you're going to stay in the program and develop. And if you look at the programs who are most consistently like operating at a high level, let's say uh, Villanova and Gonzaga, two teams who have been really good for the last you know, decade. Uh, Gonzaga under Mark Few has been good for a really long time. They're the guys who, they, they take guys like, say, Corey Kispert, great example, Payne, uh, I think he was 2017 in-state recruit. UW didn't get him, let him go to Gonzaga, and now he's averaging 24 points per 36 or something ridiculous like that. A draft uh, pick. Huh. Yep. It, so you, you get those guys are the core of your program, and then if a Jalen Suggs comes along and is, is a top three pick and he's interested, you, you take him, and now look at Gonzaga. They're the best team in the country by a country mile, and it's built around a core of guys who've been there for a long time and a, a a one and done stud and it's the same thing uh, at uh, Villanova under Jay Wright he, he was more built around uh, four year guys you look at uh, Virginia that's another good example of a, of a team who's bought into the program there I've uh, had some great defenses with guys like DeAndre Hunter over the last couple of years um, and, and Hop hasn't been able to follow that model so he had his group of four year guys while well, Noel was a two year but Matisse was a four year senior I, I believe um, in 2018, and then he he went the one and done route. It wasn't successful that way, and because the one and dones are gone, we're back on the four year route, and it's it's not working because the guys he took in haven't developed at all. Yeah, I was I was I, I couldn't have said that better. Any uh, DP, I was thinking it's it's like exactly what we've been talking about in terms of how football should be used to transport is that you build your for the most part you build your program guys coming in that that you intend to have in your program for the long haul and you supplement those you know know, for football it's through the transfer portal and for basketball it's the one and done are we ready to move on to the the first uh, question that uh, had been submitted uh, yeah one 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 thing first go ahead DJ sorry Uh, Beth Max said this is Hopkins fourth year and most people are familiar with football and how that is but to me a picture of basketball fourth year that's like a football coaches like sixth or seventh year because like a how, one how and dance, yeah yeah one and that's and how much younger guys contribute as freshmen and sophomores so yeah the other difference i think to, yeah, you to know is that in basketball one player makes a much bigger difference like people love to credit quarterbacks in, in winning or whatever in football but the, the fact of the matter is if one guy can only affect so much in, in basketball a guy like a lebron james or a michael jordan can legitimately be the difference in 30 40 wins over an nba season and the, it's the same in college basketball one legitimate superstar can tr- like turn a team from a bottom of the pac-12 team into the top of the pac-12 team and I don't mean that's not an exaggeration. That's a legitimate thing. And so what DJ was saying about how fourth year is more like a six year in football, in college football, you need to have a great roster top to bottom. In college basketball, if you have a decent roster and two great players, you're a really good team. And Hoff has not managed to do either of those things. Yeah. Go ahead, Afman. Yeah, and maybe, uh, and I don't know, and maybe maybe this is where Hop deserves some more time as a head coach, right? Like he, he's not, 
he he's had experience with the one and done. He's got experience with the with the longer term players. It's not like he just woke up to the transfer thing this year, right? Like he pulled in Quade, he pulled in Jerron Brooks before. This is not his first year pulling in transfers, but to build a roster that has chemistry and can play together, like it's just I think that's where this year I was so disappointed. Like you had you had guys like Stevenson, like he was like the second leading scorer in Wichita State. He even wake up until halfway through the season. Like that building the chemistry, like that's where that's where you separate like the Shashevsky and the Kalaparis and those guys from like the Mike Hopkins of the yeah. world because they turn over their rosters every single year and they're bringing in almost you know, bringing in almost all brand new starters, right? It's a machine. To be able to yeah. build that chemistry, like you have to get that. Hop does not have that yet, and I, I'm not ready to say like, hey, like let's pull the let's 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 pull the cord, like he's done. But he clearly doesn't have that figured out yet. He doesn't, and he needs to really quickly. Um, and I think I, I do think he should be on the hot seat, um, if not right now, definitely next year. Yeah, uh, one one thing I would say, or just a question I would pose, is who has actually developed under Hopkins? Who can we look at and and say they are a legitimately much better player now than when we came in? Look at Hamir Wright, right? He he, the, the, I, Husky Husky Twitter has complained sure. about Hamir Wright as much as anybody. And if you look at Hamir Wright, his shooting was the biggest issue. It's the difference between him being a good player and a you know, whatever. And it hasn't gotten better. Mike Hopkins has been here for four years and Hamir Wright has not taken a step. Uh, Jamal Bay hasn't been the player that I thought he would be. Although I think he's taken a step forward this year. I think Sahonis is probably the only player where I can look at and say, yeah, he's, he's probably made a leap. I mean, Quade's regressed from where he was last year, in my opinion. Well, and also don't forget about Nas Carter, right? Like coming off that year where Jalen Noel was like the man and we were going to, take the next step. Like Nas Carter just didn't take it. Right. And there's other things that happen there for him personally, but yeah, I agree. I think that's a great point. Like I haven't seen anyone really develop and just be like, and let's not talk about like Stewart. Like he came and he was a beast. He had yeah. all the moves. I think was that was not on hop. Um, and yeah, like Brian Penn Johnson, Nate Roberts, Oof. like where, where are you guys at? Like where, are, where are bigs at? How are they developing? Riley Storn, he's had him in the program for a while. Like he's a redshirt sophomore. He's been in for a while. Yeah, and if you look at looking for our team for like next year, right? There's Hamir Wright's a senior, and I, I think that's it in terms of scholarship guys. DJ, you can correct me if I'm wrong here because I think you have a better breakdown. But in terms of guys who could return, you have Quade, you have Jamal, you have Sahonis. I think Stevenson has another year. Nate Roberts, Soren, Bajima, Pryor, Battle, Brooks. All those guys have another year of uh, eligibility at least. I think some of them have two. Uh, some of those guys, are. I think Sahonis is a sophomore. Roberts, Soren, those guys are sophomores. Uh, Bajima, Battle, Brooks, they're all sophomores, I think. Uh, DJ, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but if you look at the roster, right there, there's enough talent there to where you could see us being a decent team next year with the right coaching and w with proper development. But looking back at the track record of the last four years, it's hard to say that the talent that's already there on the roster will make the leap that is requisite for the team to contend in the Pac-12. Okay.
Anything else we want to say in terms of how Pop still has God or why he should or could? Yeah, okay. So, I've been waiting on this. So, the, I'm just going to... The main reason why Hop still has a job is $12.2 million. UW's not going to pay that. Especially nope. given the what's going on now with COVID and the revenue shortfall. Yeah, he's sticking with us for another year. Like, even... I don't know how exactly it works, but I'm assuming because his whole contract guaranteed, I think. It's, I think he's going to pay like two some million a year. So take off a couple million after next year. And that's what so it's still going to be maybe a little bit under 10 next year. So he's for sure coming back. They they can't pay that. It's, it's disappointing, but he deserves to be fired. Like FMAC said, he, there's, there's no excuses that obviously there wasn't a tournament last year. But they weren't going to be a tournament team. And how how are you not a tournament team with two first round draft picks? And and they had some some experience, you know. Nas and Hamir were juniors. And who's a who's a guy from Australia, New Zealand? He he was a senior on our team last year. And Timmons, so it wasn't Timmons. yeah, that's right. Yep. So it wasn't like they're all freshmen. And yeah, then obviously this year, winning five games or whatever they're at. Yeah, it it sucks, but yeah, Hopkins is going to be back, and that's the only reason why he has a job, or at least why he should have why he should have a job, I guess. I think the only other thing I would add to that, DJ, is like the investment that we're about to make in the new basketball facility. Um, I think that's another reason where it's like, hey. If I'm Jen, maybe it's just continuity is better than blowing that up. I mean, it's going to give him some recruiting juice. Um, and actually, like, our basketball facility is kind of shit, right? Like, it, it's not good. <laughs> um, you know, I, like, the the venue the venue is what it is. I personally like watching basketball games there. But, but from what I've heard personally around, like, the locker rooms and things like that. Like it just could be better. It could be more posh. It could be a better recruiting tool. It's not now it's going to be apparently. And so I think that's another reason why Jen is like maybe saying, Hey, a little bit more leash for hop. Um, and then that in the buyout, I think you're right, DJ. Yeah. And I can vouch for that. I played at whatever is it called? Alaska airlines or heck ed. So what did I call it? But uh, I played there and yeah, the locker rooms are shit. I wasn't at the, I wasn't inside Utah's, but I was at the visiting team, and yeah, it wasn't much better than my high school locker room. Yeah, I mean they're twenty years old. Go ahead, DP. Yeah, one thing I one thing I will say, and this is probably the only thing you outside of the buyout that you can say about Hopkins staying another year is if you look at the results against the top teams in the Pac-12 this year, uh, who are off the top, I think Colorado, UCLA, Oregon, Arizona. Um, UW has had close games or beaten all of those teams. So kept it close against UCLA, kept it really close against Oregon, beat beat Colorado, and then obviously just had the one-point loss against Arizona. It, it is also a reflection of bad coaching that in all of those close games against good teams, UW, UW's lost. Uh, that, that is a reflection on Hopkins. 
Um, and then one thing we haven't really touched on about Hop is recruiting. Um, we, we've mentioned it on, I think we've mentioned it on a previous podcast, but the city of Seattle by itself has enough talent to sustain a decent Utah basketball team. And if you look back at in-state recruits, uh, 2021, obviously we have Paolo, who is a legacy UW recruit who ended up going to Duke and like you can't fault a kid for going to Duke but at the same time like that that's a guy you really have to land top three player in the country in your backyard who's a legacy can't really let that one slide uh Caden Perry I think he's at a battleground he's going to Gonzaga it's hard to fault a kid for going to Gonzaga but again that that's a in-state player, in-state talent that would be good to get. Uh, Shane Noel, he's going to Arizona. That one hurts, obviously, because freaking Jalen Noel was a, was a dude for us uh, a couple of years ago. Then we have uh, Jackson Grant, who is committed to UW, um, and those that's the four stars. If you run back through four stars in other classes, 2020, you had Mullins, who went to St. Mary's, Tari Eason, who went to Cincy. 2019, we did get Jaden McDaniels. We did get Raekwon Battle. Um, Watson went to Gonzaga. Bajima went to to Michigan. Obviously, he ended up um at UW after transferring. And then Brock, what's his name, went to uh, Gonzaga. So that's another loss there. Uh, twenty eighteen. This this is the ugly one. Uh, you have you have Kevin Porter Jr. going to USC. You have uh, J. Ron Brooks. Obviously, he's here now. Went to USC. And twenty seventeen is where it really really hurts. Uh, Michael Porter, Jonte Porter, Dejon Davis. We got Jalen Noel. Um, but then if you look at a guy who was not a four-star in that class, his name is Corey Kispert, and he's going to be a top 15 draft pick up here in, in a couple months. And so it maybe each miss seems okay in and of itself. But if you look at those guys and you think how many of them would still be on the UW roster right now, and you compare it to the UW roster right now, it, it, it's hard to say that just recruiting those guys wouldn't have made a better team than what it already has. And I, I think it speaks to the incompetence of Hopkins in, in that aspect that we hired coaches specifically for Seattle area recruiting in, in dollars in Conroy. And we have still had that failure over his tenure at, as head coach in a Seattle program. And where we are now, I, I think it's pretty clear that it would not be the same place if he had simply managed to recruit all of those guys that I just I was going to jump in real quick, and and, and I will say kind of to, to both of the both of the couple of points in terms of how Hopsell has a job. He does have you know the two tournament appearances to fall back on, um, and comparatively, if we're going to fire a basketball coach, and we'll talk about this in great detail, um, the one that has not had any success whatsoever at the University of Washington is going to get covered later in the episode. Uh, but if you want to talk about recruiting pain, uh, 2018 is. Uh, a travesty of epic proportions than we'll Yeah. Um, so DP kind of touched on one of our mailbag questions, if, I, if I'm wrong, hooligan or if I'm right. So I, I believe one of the mailbag questions was in-state recruiting for 2021. And yeah, so I won't go, I won't talk about as much because DP already touched on it. I'm glad he brought up Caden Perry because that's one People, it feels like people are forgetting. I've talked about enough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and super bounce, can jump out the gym. Great player. And you, yeah, and you forgot to mention Nolan Hickman. Oh, beat me. Going yeah, to, yep. Going to Kentucky. And yeah, he he would have been great to have. And I don't think he's a one and done type player. He's rated 31 in the country, according, according to the 24-7 sports. 
but definitely could use him for a couple years. <clears throat> but there is one other guy that's out there that's very forgotten because when he was a junior in high school, he said he's not going to college. He's going yep. pro. And what a decision. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I wish I wish I I could say that we I mean I think we have a good chance of getting him. And and I know that like he has some I don't know some I wouldn't say red flags, but he has some concerns off the court. But he would be a huge get. He plays point guard. I want to what What's his ranking? Do you know what his ranking is? I don't know. If uh, he's still I believe he was a low end five star his senior year. Um, obviously, he he didn't end up going going to college, so I don't know how his ranking is now. But I, I think when he was coming out, he was definitely top fifty in the country. I think he ranged up to the high twenties. But uh, yeah, yeah. Marjan, and I forgot to say his name. Yeah, Mar- yeah, Marshawn. Uh, how, how do you pronounce his last name? Bochamp. 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 Yep. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I should have said his name at the very beginning, but <laughs> yeah, he he would be a huge get, and he could. I mean, they're not going to save our class, but he could. Him and Jackson Grant coming in that that would be a nice I'll combo bet. right there. And yeah, he plays. He's a combo guard, I think, point guard, shooting yeah, guard. Uh, and I think he's like six six seven. I want to say I, I honestly forgot about. I I haven't watched his film for over a year because yeah, I just thought. I just thought there's no chance he's, he's moving on. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's trying to get uh, clearance so he can go to the NCAA. I mean, I don't know how much he's talked to agents or whatnot, but that, that would be a nice get to, yeah, since we're not getting uh Bancaro, that's a huge <sighs> loss. Like he's, he's going to Duke, obviously number three recruit in the country and in our backyard, UW. Uh, huge. He should be, he's, he should be number one, maybe number two, but he's that good. He's the real yeah, Chet good. Pretty good. Yeah, I, I don't know. Chet is good, but I like I like Van Carroll maybe a little bit more. And if you want to want to touch on just the overall recruiting for Utah basketball, uh, pull up my notes real quick. So we got 15 offers in 2021, and all but two have committed to schools. One of those players being the number two recruit in the country, Jaden Hardy, which we're not going to get. And the other one is a point guard, Madison Peaster. I have even watched no uh, ranking. He's from Arkansas. And so, like, what are we doing? Are are we just going to rely on transfers? Because you're talking about our our team next year. And we have – I think we have one scholarship open right now. And then – Two with Wright leaving, but then obviously got Jackson Grant. So as of right now, one scholarship open next year, and there's going to be attrition there. And yeah. it's like, what are we doing recruiting? <laughs> it doesn't feel like there's a plan really in place. I guess if if you look at the the roster for next year, obviously we're losing uh, Hamir, so we'd need um, a, a forward or center type if Hop wants to to continue just the kind of two three scheme he's been running historically. Um, but it doesn't really seem like there, there's a plan in place. It's just kind of like get guys and hopes. I guess a lot was centered around Paulo. I know um, we were running second for Kate Cunningham in 2020. That's a recruiting miss we didn't talk about. But obviously, we, it's hard to beat hiring his brother. Shout out to Oklahoma State. But at, at the end of the day, uh, 
the the, the one and done guys aren't going to save your program. Like we said, transfers aren't going to save your program for football. One and dones aren't really going to do it for basketball unless you're Duke. Um, so you, you have to build that core. And the fact of the matter is that the guys that Hop has brought in to build that core have not developed at all in, in his time here. And that's why we're sitting at five and 20 and four and 16 in conference play. All right. Shall we move on to uh, what the starting five looks like next year, assuming quad a leaves. Go ahead, DJ. Yeah. So starting five for next year, if I were to take a stab at it right now, I would say to Shonis, if to Honus, be a point guard. And then you got Jamal Bay, Eric Stevenson's at the wings. Nate Roberts probably starts as one of our bigs. And I would probably say the other big man we would have start would probably be a transfer from somewhere. I don't know where. Uh, I think we're was it I think we're in on the big guy. Is it from Robert Morris? I watched I said I wrote this down, but I watched some film of him and his if it if it is him, he averaged like eighteen a game at a small school in the Northeast somewhere. And I guess UW's one of the schools reaching out. So yeah, someone like him, I can see as the other starting five and going back to like the roster next year in general, I would expect green quad a green to leave. And I would probably expect one, if not both, both of maybe Raekwon battle or, or Jaron Brooks to transfer probably more so battle. Cause he, he kind of fell off the rotation this year. But yeah, anyways, those five I mentioned, well, four I mentioned plus a transfer is my guess on who starts next year. Anything different? Yeah, nothing nothing in particular. I will say that Sahonis has been a pleasant surprise because I didn't think he was going to be as good as he's been out of high school. Um, looking down the rest of the roster in terms of advanced stats, a guy who's come out decently is Riley Soren, but I think he's got a lot to work on. Uh, to to be a competent player, I, I don't know how you're seven foot four and you get posterized, man. I look, there's things that you just don't see every day, and that's one of them. Um, that, <laughs> uh, everyone's muted, but they're laughing right now. That that was pretty ridiculous. This day. Um, in in terms of guys who are playing actual minutes who've been good this year, it's Sahonis and it's been Bay, and pretty much everyone else is just not. Uh, played up to the level we wanted. I don't know if Stevenson's coming back. He's not been great. He's, he's turned it on, I guess, in the second half of the season, but his first half was horrible. horrible. It was horrifying. It was terrible. I never want to watch it ever again. Um, Nate Roberts has been terrible. He, he's not been good. Um, you know, maybe he, he turns it around or something, but he, he's not been good at all. Really the only two players who I would say with confidence should be in the lineup are Sahonis and Bay, and then just pray three other guys figure it out at this point. Eric stepped it up, the last, Eric Stevenson, the last month or so. He, at times, has been our best player. But, yeah, that that first month, our first half of the season – was rough to watch this whole season has been rough to watch like and honestly i i usually watch as much as possible but there's times when i know the game's on and i don't even tune in like it, I, I i can't watch it it's it's so frustrating and i mean i i watch here and there obviously so i mean so i can make it you know i can see who's good and and whatnot but yeah it's, Stevenson stepped up lately. I'll say that. 
Just like, I can't stand like as a football player, maybe that's just me. Like I can't stand the body language. I see sometimes like, I like, like <laughs> if you're, if you're getting, if you're getting beat by 30, 40 points against Arizona state, like the mentality has got to be like, I got to get in a fist fight just to save some face, man. Like this is ridiculous and not seeing and just seeing like the total, um, it's not complacency. It's just like, it's just like the, the giving in to we suck. Like, and just totally, get, just maybe. totally. Yeah. Maybe resignation is the right word. Just totally. Yeah. Just totally resigned to that fate of like, yeah, we're shit and we're going to get crushed. Uh, I, I just hate to see that. I don't care. I mean, and, and it's just like be a competitor, right? I know these guys are working hard. These guys are college athletes. Like I like they're grinding. I get that. But I just don't understand the. Uh, it just feels like just lack of. I fire, don't know if it's spark. fire, passion, which is so weird because you think of Hop like he's Mister Fire, Mister Passion, like he's the one that like dropped down to the floor and started doing push-ups when Jen Cohen was like interviewing him, right? Like, and, and it's like where is that fire? It's not being, it's not imparted onto the team for whatever reason. Um, and I'll stop on that note. I don't want to, you know, uh, I don't want to, you know, crap on it too much. Cause these, they're working hard. I know they are. I know hop's got them working, uh, but I'll shift topics. The, the other guy I might, the another name I m- might throw out there is Nate Pryor. I've seen him flash at times. Uh, yeah. you know, if I, it's there. if I had to, if I had to pick like a dark horse, like someone that could like, you know, kind of grow into like a, you know, a, uh, you know, a, uh, starting five, maybe maybe six man rotation more regularly next year. I could see him kind of growing into that. I really like his game and what I've seen of him in flashes this year. So that might be a guy that we haven't mentioned that I would throw out. Yeah, I, I, I will say, go ahead. Uh, on the note of Nate Pryor, it, in terms of the advanced statistics, I like to look through. He's actually been a positive defender. Um, so it's just a matter of putting putting it all together offensively. Like you said, FMAC, he's definitely demonstrated that the capability is there. Um, uh, Bajima, same thing. He's a positive defender. Offense has not been good. Uh, Eric Stevenson, same thing. At some point, you have to wonder when Hop's just going to say fuck it and hire a shooting coach uh, because that that seems to be a pretty obvious fix when him or Wright is rocking a 48 true shooting percentage, which for those of you who who don't know uh, shooting statistics, that's not good. That's what you shoot when you can't shoot. That's what bad high school shooters shoot, not you know, legitimate Division One basketball players. It's a shame because he's good defensively, but that that's really bad. Yeah. Um. So yeah, yeah. There's there's defensive ability is already there. It, it's just for there are a couple guys on the roster for whom it's simply a question of can they put it together on the offensive end for a full game at. A- yeah, and all I was going to say, you know, to, to kind of build off of what I've had, Mac was handed, and it's not necessarily a criticism of Hop. I think it's it's something that, it, you know, when we're talking about hoops that I think, you know, Hop is, is firing, is kind of rah-rah. I think um, that was the bill of goods that Jody Winslow, and I think that that's something that, that Jen is very susceptible to. Like, hey, positive attitude, positive attitude, positive attitude, but regards like her hires for the most part across the board. The proof has not been in the pudding that like that it's it's a sales job that the coaches have done in the interviews and then like the results speak for themselves in a different fashion. But uh, yeah, let's go ahead and move on to 
uh, if and when Hop goes or if Hop happens to go this year or which won't happen tragically, which won't happen. Uh, you know, a few names on the list of, of who Husky fans as we go as we go into next season should keep an eye on in terms of you know if Hop gets moved gets uh, uh, removed a year from now. Who's on our list? Go ahead, DP. Yeah, so we were looking over DJ. I'll leave you the obvious one. Um, we were we were looking over some names earlier. One guy that jumps out is uh, head coach at Eastern Washington. Uh, I believe he's thirty eight years old. Shante Legans. I have no idea. Like Legans. I have no idea if I pronounce that correctly. But he's got a pretty good record. They won the Big Sky last year. They're third in it this year. Eleven and three in conference. It's actually not a terrible conference. Uh, Southern Utah is pretty good uh, historically, or at least this year they've been they've been a really good team. Uh, but yeah, 38 years old, obviously has West Coast ties. He's run a pretty good program. Uh, the, the leap from Eastern Washington to Division One is big, obviously. But you know, I, I think a, a young head coach who has a proven track record of success in Washington could be the kind of of coach mold that could be successful. Just because, like we've talked about, how bad the Washington recruiting has been. There's enough talent. Uh, in order to to build a team every year, and and I think that if you get a local young guy, he's going to be capable uh, of getting that kind of talent and building that kind of roster. Maybe that's not an immediate national championship contender, but at least a consistent uh, tournament contender, which would be a nice return after the last couple of years or last decade since uh, the Isaiah Thomas years. Um, that was brought up was uh, Michelson, who's an assistant at Gonzaga. Obviously, he's he's been around the program a lot under Mark Few. Uh, giving him his own program uh, would seem like the logical next step. I think keeping him in the state of Washington would again be positive. He was the lead recruiter on Jalen Suggs, who was a guy we mentioned earlier. Um, so, so yeah, I think that that's a pretty solid fit. And as far as as the obvious uh, uh, candidate here, I think I'll let DJ take it away on this. Yeah, uh, I'm assuming you're talking Brandon. Yep. Yeah, so I know that's a name people have thrown out there a lot. I don't know how realistic is our administration would hire him. But, yeah, I mean, he's uh, was a legend at Utah basketball. He had a great short NBA career. Could have been one of the better players ever. And injuries, man. Yeah. Yeah, he was unreal. He was unreal. Kids, if you have not seen that highlight yeah. tape of his of his time, you should go watch it. That guy so would have been a stud. Yeah. I wish I could have given yep. him my knees. <laughs> Such <laughs> as they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, X's and O's on his standpoint of X's and O's. I mean, I don't know how good he is there, but I know uh, he has basketball knowledge. I know that. And I know he would make a huge impact recruiting, especially local kids. What local Seattle kid would not want to play for Brandon Roy? Like, that's there would be everyone would be I don't know saying shit or whatever. The, if a local kid went somewhere else with Brandon Roy as a head coach, like, it won't happen. So yeah, we'd have to hire some good assistants, obviously to maybe do some of the X's and O's, but. Yeah, that, that's obviously on the list. I have a couple other names. And before the season, I would have said one that I liked was uh, – tra- so I'm terrible with names. That's why I don't even try to pronounce his names. I just say, what, how's this pronounced? But Travis Decor, the, the, uh, he's, from, uh, he's from Seattle area, was assistant coach at Cal, 
and is a Montana head coach. They've, he's had a good few years. He's been there for about six, seven years, and they've won the Big Sky a couple times, won Big Sky tournaments a couple times. However, his team is, I think they're like 10-12 and 12 this year. And so that's obviously not, not the great greatest year. Um, I mean, the hottest choice in the market for college basketball is probably going to be or maybe Anthony Grant from Dayton, but he's probably going to go to LSU. But the one that kind of stands out to me that I would love to have is coach, his name's Craig Smith. He's from Utah State. And so, you know, Utah fans familiar playing Utah State in the tournament a couple years ago. He's had has he's been head coach at Utah State since 2018 with a 62 and 18 record and been the Mountain West champs, tourney champs a couple times. And yeah, as I mentioned, he we he made it to the tournament a couple years ago. It was also at South Dakota. So has overall 213 and 102 record as head coach. So he's got the experience. He's still 47 years old. So he's not yeah. not like he's a super old guy. And you know, he would probably him and Brandon Roy, just depending on how the administration want to go about the next coaching hire, would probably be one and two on my list. Yeah, I, I, w- I will second uh, Craig Smith. If you look back at his record, everywhere he's been, it, he's left it. Well, I mean, it, you only have two positions he's left, but he came into a uh, Mayville State team that was 17 and 14, left it 28 and 6 and 27 and 9, uh, both NAIA playoff teams south dakota uh he went from 17 16 and 14 and 18 finished 26 and 9 made it to the cbi made it to nit the year before that um and then uh with utah state just came in and the program was immediately good and they've been good every year he's been there um obviously made the tournament his first year and like dj said he has a really good career record that the question would be recruiting um maybe dollars and conroy can actually do something um and you keep them on staff and maybe you actually start recruiting washington talent but if you're looking for a guy who will actually maximize the talent that is already on the roster which i don't think is that bad like i said earlier i think there's enough there to do something uh, i do think that is an, an interesting candidate and he does have West Coast-ish ties from his time at Utah State. So I do think that could be a pretty solid. Yeah, shout out to Jackson Grant, Olympia High School, my home city. Yeah, repping the dogs. And yeah, top one in recruit, McDonald's All-American, going to UW. Always love the guys staying home. And I know he's been a dog fan since his whole life, pretty much. But yeah, he could have gone to a lot of schools. And yeah, I love that he's passionate about staying home and want to be Husky and yeah, definitely going to keep rooting for him throughout his whole career. Yeah. Hashtag hometown hero, hashtag hometown Husky. It's where it's at. Yep. Uh, shout out. Got a couple more shout outs for some pro D wags, uh, pro pro D wags. Here we go. Um, I, Isaiah Thomas, obviously, you know, he, he's not um, in, in the NBA right now, but um, you know, he, he was obviously a stud a couple years ago, and I saw it said on Twitter the other day. I think he was averaging ten points in the fourth quarter for Boston during that 2016 season. I think people forgot that he was legitimately like a top five player in the NBA that year. So I just wanted to, to give him a shout out. Um, that hip injury obviously was, was brutal, and it pretty much it sapped the the life out of his NBA career. But he he was a stud that year, so I think that deserves more recognition. Uh, Justin Holiday. 
um, who, who has been actually playing very well for the Pacers this year, has not gotten any credit for it. He's been he's been a really good player uh, for Indiana this year. Then Jalen Noel, who I, I, I checked, this is from a couple weeks ago, but he was averaging something like 15, 20 points. I think it was 20 points, DJ, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, per uh, 36 minutes. And as a second-round guy, um, who, who maybe wasn't supposed to come in and be an immediate contributor. It's year two, and he's already scoring pretty well off the bench. So a uh, big shout-out to Jalen. Um, who, who, who could have predicted that a guy who was, you know, that a closer in college would be a stud in the NBA? Who, who, who could have seen that one coming? So, yeah, shout-out shout out to Jalen Noel. Shout out all the yeah, dogs. And Jackson honestly. Grant, like, thank you for, like, joining the legacy. Like, we got, like, guys like, Nate Robb, like Jalen Noel, like Isaiah Thomas, Spencer Hawes, like there's so much Tony Roten, all these John guys. And we Stockman. talked about Brandon Roy, like all these people that stayed home, like we're going to remember you forever, right? Like there's a bunch of people that have left and like done really successful things. But like I'm not going to mention Jason Terry in the same conversation. I'm going to mention Nate Robb. And guys like that. And Jason Terry that had an amazing NBA career, right? Local mm-hmm. guy. I can't remember if he was Franklin or where he was, but like went to Arizona. Great, like pursued his dream. That's awesome. It just means something different to stay home. And so I, I think like seriously, hometown hero, Jackson Grant, guys like that that just want to be dogs. They want to wear the purple and gold is awesome. I love it. Yep. Yep. And I, I do I do want to give a shout out to Jaden McDaniels. Because I didn't, I don't think I gave him enough credit for his defense. Uh, I kind of mentioned it. He's for like fringe top ten in the NBA right now in terms of on-off Raptor ratings defensively. Um, and for a, a guy who maybe wasn't as defensively touted in college in terms of effort and stuff, to to go into the NBA and to do that as a rookie on a really bad like that team is bad to so to to go at, go out and do that. Uh, it is remarkable. Um, he's shooting really well from corner three, so I think it's only a matter of time before you see him become a legitimate everyday player, and I think he has an all-star ceiling. So yeah, big big shout-out to Jaden, and he I think he deserves more credit. Obviously, NBA Twitter hasn't really been giving him as much love as they should um, because he wasn't the first overall pick that Anthony Edwards was, and he's on a really bad team, but he I, I think he's had a pr- pretty outstanding season considering where he was taken. Awesome, yeah. All right, thanks, guys. We'll be back uh, momentarily with women's basketball with uh, with a quick rant from me, uh, and then getting into the conversation with Leah uh, and F Mac will be with us as well to to help us moderate and guide the discussion. I'm quick. I do want to recognize that the women did win. They did beat Colorado with the 11 seed, which uh, our social media let's media go. Dogs love the 11 seed. Uh, I'm sorry, you can celebrate a win, um, but celebrating the fact that you're the second worst team in the conference is not something that you should ever, ever, ever fucking be proud of at the University of Washington. Get a fucking clue, AD. Get a clue, marketing department. Get a clue, social media. Inexcusable. And we're back. Hope you guys enjoyed that quick rant about UW social media. Joined for part two of the conversation on all things Husky Hoops by once again F Mac and UW Twitter celebrity UW Leah. Welcome. As always, hey. we'll, we will do a, a quick retouch on beverages of choice for the evening. F Mac, any changes from uh, from the other night? What are you drinking this evening? 
Yeah, I tried, I'm trying a Moscow Mule in a can. It's like, um, I wish I could show you the brand. It's all right, just put it on ice. It's all right, nothing special. Yeah, how about you? Drinking a little Cabernet and also some water, so. There you go, mix the two in. That's right. Keep the Second mixture right. <laughs> Second appearance uh, on the pod for Volition Brewing, my local brewery. Uh, I'm working on a zest year ever, um, which is a, like a hazy, citrusy IPA. Quite nice. Nice. Uh, well, let's dig into it. Um, and I think we'll start with an overall perspective on the history of the program. So, Leah, take it away. Yeah, just a little history of Washington women's basketball. Um, for those of us who don't follow it closely, as me, which is probably very few of us, um, Washington has been historically one of the top two West Coast teams historically with women's basketball, um, dating back to the mid 80s. Um, it was basically Stanford and Washington. Um, Washington was coached by Chris Gobrek, Chief California, and she really bu built the program on blue collar, tough defense, and she really had a fence around the Pacific Northwest. Everyone who was in the state of Washington, UW was their first choice. And that extended uh, to the Portland area, to Montana, to the Dakotas. She had essentially a fence around the greater Pacific Northwest and um, everyone really bought into it. This was the hottest ticket in town. This was at the time when Husky men's basketball was not as good as women's basketball. And routinely when Heckhead was a max capacity of a little under 8,000, we would sell out for Stanford. There was a year when Stanford won the national championship and they, won they lost one game and that was at Heckhead. Um, it was just the hottest ticket in town for a long time. And Chris had a very unrelenting style that jived well in the early days. And then as, you know, mid nineties hit, she started to lose her stranglehold of the Pacific Northwest with regard to recruiting. Uh, started to see some kids leave for Stanford. Um, and she left for Florida State after the 96 season. Um, she only stayed for one year and then she went back to her alma mater at USC. And uh, Washington hired someone who had had a lot of success at Boise State, another Boise State pipeline that we're so famous for. And um, she's June Doherty. And June had uh, two young kids. She had a very different philosophy with women's basketball and was much more family focused, much more perimeter focused, less of a emphasis on defense, um, much more of a fluid offensive package. And the team was good. It was never consistently terrible, but they were never consistently also in the top three. We won the conference. I think it had a shared play, a three way tie for the share of the conference title in 2001. And that was the highest they finished. Um, and frankly, at you know, when after you've watched the team succeed with a previous coach, you're thinking, why can't we have that again? There's nothing that at Washington that says you can't win here. It's just too hard. You can't recruit. And June couldn't get the kids out of the Spokane Valley for some reason. They were all going to Arizona State inexplicably. We couldn't really figure that one out. It still has kind of a a pipeline there um and yeah it just became it became a situation where kids were deciding between washington and the other schools and the other schools were winning and so uh she was fired after 
Hooligan, I think it was the 07 season. Does that sound uh, right? Either, yeah, either 05, 06, or 06, 07 after yeah. um, some really talented kids. I mean, certainly there was the whole Kayla Burt story. Simon yep. in that class had two top 50 elite level kids come in and um, to, to put it as nicely as possible, uh, blatantly misused uh, Kristen O'Neill, made her play all oh. five positions. The, the talent the kid had was incredible, but when you have a 6-1 guard, you don't make her play at that particularly, and this was before long guards became a thing. Uh, you don't, uh, again, through errors in recruiting, through errors in management, or taking kids that had injury histories and, and, and then never ended up playing, or uh, and in some instances, some instances, post players that were more likely to shoot threes than yep. as true post players. Yep. Uh, so it was well, definitely. She also encouraged players like Andrea Lalum to just not post up and just, you know, part, she's six foot four, big kid out of Montana, and just go and a great three point shooter and shoot threes. Three. Yeah, and and that's a great weapon, obviously. Like as we saw with Lauren Jackson of the Storm, having sure. big, thick, and stretched defense. Great, but they still need to be down low, getting rebounds. Um, mm -hmm. Over it was so it was she, errors in recruiting. Um, it became clear over her tenure, and this was right around the era in which I became a fan. Was late, I think, in the two thousand started the, the elite eight year that, that Leah mentioned, mm -hmm. where we shared the conference title, started kind of paying attention, and started really going to the games the following year. Um, and in the the years of Doherty that I saw much more talented teams that tended to underachieve um, based on her system, not maximizing talent, destroying shots in some cases. Uh, there were a number of players whose shot percentages declined over the course of their careers, which is kind of counterintuitive to getting into a college program. Um, and it was also, I think, and it was even said at one point blatantly in a couple of either media interviews that like just the goal was to just make the tournament. And I'm sorry, that's not good enough. Uh, definitely a situation, if I can pick up kind of on history from there, the decision, again, was not a mistake to move on from June, even with some of the recruits that it cost us. The, the error at that er in that era was who replaced her. Correct. Uh, Tia Jackson, uh, to sum up her era, was an unmitigated disaster, was... Horrific might be the appropriate word to... She used to be the worst coach we ever had. Yeah, she used to be the worst coach we ever had. <laughs> Treated the players terribly. Uh, ran the team so hard before a Stanford game that they ended up losing by 60-plus points and ran a team so hard in practices that she injured a kid uh, caused plantar French fasciitis in a kid that had played soccer her whole life. Uh, so unmitigated disaster there uh, but still managed to win roughly a third I think I don't have the numbers in front yeah. of me and roughly a third of the conference games just to kind of piggyback on that like as bad as she was with her kids she was really really good and continues to be very good as an assistant coach at spotting talent like she was able to pluck this kid out of San Jose who only had one other division one scholarship offer and she went on to become, for like a hot, a hot minute, she was the hot leading scorer in Washington history, and that's Jasmine Davis. She got an undersized post player at a, a Kennedy High School, six foot, super athletic, beanpole type type kid that could just jump. That's Amina Williams, who again for a hot minute was 
the leading rebounder in Washington history. And then she got a kid who was chronically injured at a federal way, but super talented, just never could get super healthy. And that's Talia Walton. And she was able to get those kids because she could just spot talent, despite the fact that she was a terrible person. The University of Washington is still a place where kids want to play because of the degree, because of the support they know they'll get from the fans. And, you know, the faith, I think, that maybe they have in that, like, maybe if this chick isn't my coach, they're probably going to get someone good. So. Which, yeah, which ultimately ended, like, she ended up, I think, being bought out of, she did, so she was here four years. Yeah. Uh, with, had the option for the fifth. And uh, at that point, thankfully, we had moved on from, mm-hmm. from Todd Turner as the athletic director. Uh, you have the, the wonderful hires of Tia and Ty <laughs> um, to, to Woodward, who brought in uh, probably the hottest up-and-coming coach in the country at that time, Kevin McGuff out of, out of Xavier, back in Ohio, who just made a, a run to the Elite Eight. He was able to continue and, and continue to build a program uh, from McGuff's first couple of years, 20-plus wins every year, flirted with the tournament a couple of times as he was building, and he ended up getting the opportunity to go back to Ohio State, which led to the four years with Mike Neighbors, uh, which most, if, uh, if you're at all familiar with Husky women's basketball, you know what happens. Kelsey Plum, all-time leading V1 scorer, Chantelle Osahor, Katie Collier, uh, basically a run of success that had been unprecedented since Chris Gobert had been here. Um, still not even quite to the level that, that could be expected, but heading there for, for sure. For sure. Yeah. 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 Quick question: Where did Neighbors come from? Wasn't he? Because yeah. we he went back to Mississippi State or something like that. I want to say he, he was like an SEC. Arkansas. That's right. He yeah, was like an so, SEC guy. Yeah. 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 So he actually he's from the University of Arkansas originally, but he was uh, he was basically a lifetime assistant coach for Kevin McGuff. And so um, it's a great uh, question because McGuff left. And I want to say hooligan about mid-April. And usually when you're doing a coaching hire, you tend to have a coaching change in mid-March. So it allows you to go to the Final Four and make connections and stuff like that. We had long passed that. And we knew we had Kelsey Plum, Chantel Osahor, Bree Ruiz. We had a really great class. And we knew that, like, you know what? If we do a national coaching search, we're going to lose these kids. We've just got to keep neighbors and hedge our bets and just hope to God that this plan's okay. And it worked out. You know, he was able to keep everyone. Kelsey Plum said, you stay, I stay, and the rest is history. But um, I think he was probably always kind of priming himself to get back to the SEC. And as soon as that Arkansas job moved, uh, made itself available, he took that job. So. Yeah, and the evidence was also clear. Uh, and and yes. this is not an excuse for Jody, but the evidence was clear no. in his recruiting the last year that they had right. closed up shop. He quit trying. Right. I think in the, around in the, you know, the wake of a Final had, Four... You should see, you know, even to like national broadcasters, Sandra, what, what a final four does for your program is you're able to get in living rooms you never would have been able to get into. And what we saw in Mike Neighbors was that it, it was like we were, we were recruiting as if it was like five years ago. Like we had good recruits, but it was not commensurate with an alumni of the final four. Um, you know, famously, Sabrina Ionescu was choosing between Washington and Oregon, and ultimately, she probably made the right choice because Mike Neighbors left. Oh. But if she had stayed at Washington, he may not have left. I don't know. Did um, we counter <laughs> offer in that situation? Do you recall, like when I think we in SEC? Did we try so. to, or was it so. just kind of like he was like, no? I don't think he was a culture fit here. Ultimately, I think the writing was on the wall the whole season that last year he was here, mm-hmm. that he was just not. 
he was not in it for the long haul. I think he was really he, you know, if you look at Kelsey Plum's numbers, they're fantastic. But she was playing 38 minutes a game. He really wanted her to get that scoring record as a feather in his own cap, which is like that's fine. But it was obvious that from the way that he was recruiting, that he was not here for the long haul. And I think Jen sensed that. But at the same time, if you sense that, that should give you a lot of time to do a coaching search in earnest because you know that someone's going to leave. Particularly, and we saw yeah. a very different story. Yeah, particularly. And so, and so here we are today, right? We we pluck we pluck Jody Wynn from what is it, Long Beach State? And her claim to fame coming out of Long Beach State, and this is this is true is that she almost beat Oregon State as a 15th seed in the tournament. They didn't win. They almost won. But they almost that was like, that was enough. And I mean, Long Beach State was a decent team. They were not a perennial champion of their league. I, I don't remember what their league is. It's like, it's, the w, it's not the WCC, it's the WAC maybe. I don't remember. But it was, it's just like, she was in the third to fifth place kind of range. And I thought... You know, if she was a dominant coach in that league, yeah, I'm bought in. I think that's fine. A mid-major coming to a, to a power five, that's fine. But you need to really dominate that mid-major. And she right. didn't do that. Yeah. She also and didn't really have any kids in the Pacific Northwest on her roster, which says, do you even recruit here? Do you even have relationships with these high school coaches and these um, club coaches? Do you even know what you're doing? Do you want to be in the Pacific Northwest? So, But she almost beat game. a really good team. Right. But she almost That should be enough. <laughs> but... But that's almost as oppressive as being the 11th seed in the Pac-12 tournament. Oh, don't get hooligan started on that. <laughs> Again. Proud of that. You know what? Again. Proud of that. No, I mean, and I think it, here's a case in point. Like, if you look at where the program stood at similar points where we had to go outside, coming out of Tia Jackson, which had been the worst, had been a disastrous hire, Woodward went out and got probably the hottest coach in the country who had just made a run from a mid-major conference to the Elite Eight coming out of the neighbors era and, and I will say briefly to, to touch a little bit more color on the, the McGuff exit uh, I don't remember if Jen was the athletic director at the time if it was Woodward or if it was in the transition period we had extended him and done everything we can to keep him and then Ohio State came calling and he said like even though and he signed the paperwork on a contract extension like yeah. literally within a 10 day span he had, he had over a million dollar buyout so we got some money for him leaving and also to be to be fair, Jen made sure that neighbors had over a million dollar buyout for the University of Arkansas. So we got money for both of those early exits. What happened to that with Coach Kwiatkowski? But that's another story. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> but he's um, not going to leave for anywhere but the pack, right? He's not going to leave for Texas, guys. But uh, but but then in, in, and then in, in in comparison, we're coming off of a Final Four run with a recent record-setting point guard. And we go and get a serviceable, okay, maybe head coach um, out of a out of a lower league with you know either assistants in this league that were probably more more suited and more ready to take the job. Um, and obviously, the proof has been in the pudding. <laughs> do we do we know who else was on the list for Jen? Yeah. Who else was on the list that we were talking yeah. about? That's because that's a, that's what I thought of immediately when I was I, I was looking up Jody in the uh, like in Wikipedia and all that and I was like okay who else was in the running here because yeah. I her Long Beach State I was look I was like that's good that's not like you said Leah like for like a a lower level school you would expect to see domination right I didn't see that I saw 
she, I think her last three years, she had 21 seasons, which is great. Um, but yeah, who else was on the list? Um, the, the biggest name that was on the list was the associate, not associate, associate head coach at Stanford and that her name is Kate Pay. And, um, I, my dad and I, my dad is, my dad and I have been going to Husky with basketball for 30 years. And we remember Kate Pay as a player at Stanford. And she was known as a really dirty player who always saved her her best uh, elbow swings for heck ed. And it was just like I, I don't want I don't want this person to represent UW. She's the coach in waiting when Tara Vanderveer retires. And it's obvious that it's like as soon as that job opens, she's gonna go there. I don't want that. I don't wanna be someone's second banana. And so we both wrote letters to Jen and said, like, please don't the fans don't want this. The other person that was rumored to be in the top two was the um, associate head coach at the University of Oregon, and his name is Mark Campbell. He is from Mount Vernon. His wife is from Vancouver. He has been, um, he was the architect behind Oregon State's Final Four run. He built uh, that recruiting class that was a senior class when they were uh, in the Final Four. He recruited Sabrina Ionescu. He recruited all of, the, all of the players that went first round of the WNBA draft last year. He basically was essentially the architect of Oregon women's basketball and their rise to prominence. He's never been a head coach, but he is very beloved by his team. And it's really clear from when you see the huddles that he's just as involved in the coaching as Kelly Graves is. He was my pick. I really thought that they were going to go for him because you don't have to pay someone who has not had head coaching experience as much as you do someone with head coaching experience. And our athletic department seems to really value a bargain hire. So uh, I thought maybe they'd go for that, but instead they went for Jody Wynn. And she, her initial contract was about, I think it was $400,000, but that's kind of misleading because her assistant coach, her lead assistant coach is her husband. So really she's probably getting paid more like five fifty because that's maybe the whole family package. So um, yeah, I mean, she's getting paid a very commensurate wage with everyone else in the conference, except we're not winning basketball games. That's the difference. At all. <laughs> or. <laughs> I mean, like. Or I, we I are when we're the 11 seed. And, 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 and I mean, I'll, we give, were. I'll give Jody credit. When she was at Long Beach State, she almost beat Oregon State as an underdog. And then she came to Washington in two years, and she actually did. Oh my God. And then we. we Amazing. Beat, I mean, we and beat then the. And she lost the next game. And then we beat Vaunted Power Colorado this year. I mean, that's extension territory. I mean, I know. Well, I mean, like, I know that hooligans probably mentioned this, but if you consider, like, you know, the worst coach that we would all consider to be in uh, Husky football history, which is Tyrone Willingham, and I'm looking at his conference record, he was 6 and 29 in four years, good for a 17% winning percentage. And I think we can all agree. He was the worst coach in Husky football history. We could all agree to that. And what if I told you that Jody Wynn's four-year record at Washington is 11-58, and 58, good for a 15% conference winning record? And if you tell me that that's acceptable, but you also tell me that Tyrone Willingham is the worst coach in football history, I don't know what to tell you. I, I don't know why this would be acceptable for anyone who loves purple and gold. I don't. I, I, there's just no excuse for it. There's no excuse at Washington so to be this bad. Yeah. So let's uh, let's get into the, you know, diagnoses, right? Like I think for the average, you know, podcast listener, right? Like I think of myself, I 
I, I see that there's not success in women's basketball for the Huskies. It's, it's not good for the university. Um, I, I'm not close enough to the program to be able to see like, you know, why are we not being successful? So maybe like for the listeners, right? Like let's dig into the whys of, of what's going wrong and, and how we got here. Yeah, I think part of it, uh, or at least the the first impressions or, or, or my first takes on that are are, are certainly system oriented. Um, Jody's brand is very team, 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 team. Let's share the ball. Let's play defense. It's like she's basically out and out said that she's like averse to a, a star system that she doesn't necessarily believe in stars. Go ahead, Leah. Oh, I was just going to add that she looked to, ha- to Hooligan's point that she really devalues stars so much that her first season on campus she took names off jerseys because no one's better no one's bigger than the team so continue just kind of like gee who else did that that we were just talking about hmm. um so it's system by the way by the way is there like a quicker path to eliminating yourself from like top players in the country <laughs> probably not than that like the best players in the country who were given a ton of attention five star uh, Haley Van Lip, like how can you more quickly eliminate yourself from well, their list if, if the, you're the doing only that? School, the only school that never has names on jerseys and it's just that their style and whatever is UConn. So like that's the only outlier, but mm. everyone else, to your but, point, your name's I mean, on the back. I mean, it's, I mean they're, they're the Huskies, so we can do the same thing. It's not like they've won national championships more than we have. I mean, <laughs> right. I, I, I mean we, the mascot is the only thing we have in common. <laughs> right, like the, the the thing that I will say on that, and and I think it's been evidenced by wins recruiting is when you have an approach like that, when you can't immediately, yes, it was under a different coach, yes, it was under a different system, but when you can't capitalize that, the number one all time scorer in Division One women's basketball just came out of the University of Washington, and oh by the way, it takes you three years to sign anyone at the point guard position. A person, and, and we'll dig further into this when we get into the recruiting piece. A, a player that was here for one year, and then turned around and said, "Peace out, I'm gone." You you don't win at major like. It's great to share the basketball, and yes, you need players that can contribute and on any given night, you know, have a third or a fourth score that can chip in and you know give you 10, 12, 15 points. But in the modern era of collegiate women's basketball, you have to have two, if not three go-to players because when somebody takes if somebody takes away Kelsey Plum you have to have Talia Walton you have to have Chantel Osahor you can't be like oh well some random person and and again like this team was the best recruiting tool for someone for a kid who's really talented is having a team that's full of talent because you know you're not going to like I mean you're going to get playing time but you've got you've got your teammates there to have your back and you're like maybe some kids really want to carry the load but most kids want to say, like, I want to be around, like, iron so I can sharpen myself. Right. It, so. You're going to get open shots if there's if you're not the only person that the, that the defense has to worry about. And if you want to, you know, I'm sure if, if we were ever to talk to Amber Malgoza, she'd probably say because she was the player that other teams had to take away. And what happened in our records speaks pretty clearly on that topic. Also, so uh, so I'm hearing scheme. I'm hearing a little bit of philosophy around the the team. Um, 
where like for the average fan me who maybe doesn't watch like where where is the team really deficient right so i think of like the men's program right like we like our backcourt is pretty solid right we do not have any bigs that can do anything right like if i were to if i were to take that lens and apply it to the women's team like what's our what's our biggest gap what's our biggest weakness in terms of like our our talent or our ability to play i think the biggest gap right now is the fact that we really don't have a true post player that's really able to to be on the block and bang a little bit um i also think we just we don't have a true point guard where we where we have a lot of depth is about the 3 4 position we have a lot of kids who can do stretch four and and bring the ball up at an you know an adequate level but no one who's going to be able to break press no one who's going to be able to like take on a big post player and win that battle we don't have we don't have a true point guard and we don't have any true post players. And I also problematically don't see any post players in the pipeline coming in. We have, a, we have some stretch fours. Um, you know, we have kids coming in that are, I mean, we have a decent class. It's number 16 in the country, but because of who I know Jody tends to attract, I lack the faith that those kids are actually going to turn out to be, uh, real players, particularly in Jody Wynn's system. Yeah, she's not she's not setting up kids for success at, in, in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Um, we've signed, I think, all of. I would say Darcy Reese is probably the only true post that Wynn has. Uh, Maybe Quay. Actually, Quay, kind of, but again, Quay's more of a stretch for proving yeah. the ability to shoot the three. Um, I mean, I think probably the, the the second one after Reese is probably Bamberger. And yet again, there's the same story. One year, yeah, I'm out. Yeah. And there's yeah, there's there's some stuff going on. Like they, that's another thing that I'm not sure we had planned to touch on, but we've had every season, we've had two to three kids every year transfer out of the program. And like the first year, you can kind of explain that away because it's like, well, these are not our kids. This is not their system that they signed up for. That's fine. Now we're starting to see kids that she did recruit. And she did want here and who did agree to the Jody Wynn system and then play one year and say, deuces out. So why, why that, do we think that is? I, well, so last year. Other than spring, not winning. I mean, yeah, that's not yeah. fun, but. No, but I, I don't know if who again, you remember this, but Deja Strother, who was uh, a freshman on the final four team. She's out of Inglemore high school. She was a McDonald's all American. She didn't really ever see the court. Um, really in her time here, which is pretty disappointing because I you know she's she's kind of like a, a body size of a Chantel Osahor, but not a three-point prowess, but she could definitely play, just didn't see the court. And she came out on social media and said that Jody Wynn had body shamed her for being a big girl and had um, said that mental illness is not a real thing. And um, that was kind of in the wake of like when we were having that cheerleading scandal where we had like some kids who were kids of color exited from the cheer squad and then they were reinstated and they fired the cheer coach and I never saw any effort on the athletic department to go and investigate Deja Strother's claims that was pretty disappointing because to me that's a very serious issue body shaming and the denial of mental health issues so uh, to me I think that that's probably part of it and I we will never know why because we're never going to know what the athletic does behind closed doors but Deja Strother did bring that up and um, we didn't hear anything else about it, so. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things that's certainly it's, and 
in the interactions or in being around games when Daisy was on the team prior to, to when arriving, like, she just never struck me as the type of person that would ever say anything that was not true <laughs> in that kind yeah. of context. 100%. I had the, um, as part of the, the Heckhead hooligans that, that I went to games with for, for 10 plus years, um, had the opportunity to get to know most of the players' parents and families, um, and really great people all the way around, and I can't question them at all. Um, I think one of the other topics that we wanted to get into um, is certainly to talk about why should fans of the pro of Husky sports, but of, you know more, you know if you know the average fan that's a big football fan, maybe a big football and men's basketball fan, why care about women's basketball? Yeah. Um, I think to start on that topic for me, um, number one is women's basketball is one of the sports at the University of Washington that actually can be res revenue positive. Um, and that's that's actually probably my reason one a. My reason one is they're huskies, just like a men's football, just like a football player, just like a men's basketball player, just like a men's soccer player. It doesn't matter. They deserve for sport in and of them the support in and of themselves. They deserve the best. Uh, and like I said, women's basketball is, is a sport that can be revenue positive. So if you want football to be excellent and to have as much of the mm -hmm. revenue that football generates to go to football, to have an excellent men's basketball program, to really drive revenues for the department, the better our women's basketball program yep. is. It's either it in and of itself is a revenue positive or it's a minimal revenue negative. Yep, and I mean, to go kind of like the other direction is like when we have a, a team that's in the state of the program that the current program is, and that is to say it's losing money, where does it pull the money out of? The cash cow, out of football. So, you know, if you care about the University of Washington's athletic department, maybe you don't care so much about women's basketball. Maybe you just care about football. That's fine. That's totally fine. But when, when women's basketball is really, really bad, it bleeds money out of football. And that makes it really hard to do things like, oh, I don't know, hire a great defensive coordinator. And then you're stuck hiring Bob Gregory as your defensive coordinator or because having, you just you have to have this buffer because you don't know how much cash you're going to have to bleed from basketball because it's not making money because you're not winning games so you should even if you don't care even if you don't have any interest in watching you should always care if the teams that can potentially make money and that's women's basketball women's volleyball softball um you should shout, softball, out, heather exactly. <laughs> shout out heather tar absolutely um you should always care that those teams are, you don't, they don't have to always be dominant, but we should never settle, ever settle, and much less be proud of 11th place. That is not something to hold your hat on, ever. Yeah, it, I, I really couldn't have said it better. Um, it's, and I think that, that to, to build on that, and in particular about why I hold a really, really high standard for this program, not only like, due to the history that Leah talked through about where the program was under Gobrecht. The city of Seattle is an insane market for women's athletics. Look at, I mean, look at softball. There's a reason that that stadium is full. Pretty much not, whether it's a Pac-12 game or not, people are turning out for women's basketball. A, say, let's look at a team that borrowed our arena for a year while their arena is getting renovated. Four-time WNBA champion Seattle Storm, who have the most loud, crazy, and vociferous fan base in the league. It's not an accident. Go ahead, Leah. And why are, they, why are they the best fans in the league? Where do those fans come from? Where were they born? Why did, why did the WNBA think that they could put a team in Seattle? 
Husky women's basketball. That is why. Those fans all buy tickets to both sports when UW women's basketball is coming. So. And when one of those things is not happening, they go to swim games in the summer and do other things with their time on winter evenings. And to build on that, it's not only a hotbed. The Seattle area is not only a hotbed, and we've talked a little bit as we've touched into recruiting, it's not only a hotbed for fans of women's athletics. Certainly, obviously, the, the Seattle now Olympic rain down in Tacoma are, are another example at the professional level. It's also a hotbed of talent. We talked about it earlier in this episode about you could essentially build a very, at least a competitive, if not elite caliber, Pac-12 men's basketball team just recruiting kids in state. You can do the exact same thing in women's basketball, if not more so. The history in this town is insane. Yeah. We, we talked about Haley Van Lith. We've lost any and, number I mean, of... I was just going to say, like, the difference between now and previous coaches that were not hitting it on all levels with local recruits, like a hooligan, you can probably speak to this as well, but the difference between, like, you know, the tail end of the Chris era, certainly the June era, certainly the Tia era, was that you know, you're not going to get every kid from Seattle. Even, like, if men's basketball were elite, you're not going to get every single kid because you don't have space for every single kid. But you're probably going to get, you know, a kid choosing Stanford or Oregon State over Washington. The two hats are on the table, and it's over Washington. Now what's happening is there's four hats on the table for a local recruit, and not one of them is Washington. Right now, there's a kid at California, and California is terrible. And her name is Delia Daniels, and she went to a little school down the road from Montlake, Garfield High School. Washington, not a hat on the table. That's a problem. If the kids who are local just don't believe in your program, that is a huge problem. And they're not being valued. Those kids just aren't choosing Washington and are not even considering them. Yep. That's next level bad. Like, how would we feel if Paolo Banchero didn't even think that, like, he didn't even have Washington to cut for. We would be, like, wanting Hopkins on head on a stick if he wasn't even considering Washington. That's how bad, like, losing a kid like Haley Van Lynn or Delia Daniels is. They're five-star kids, they're McDonald's All-Americans, and then they, they look at Washington and say, get out of here. Get out of my living room. I don't even want to talk to you. Yeah. Another, another big miss from that year, who's, I think, one of their, her best friends is on the team right now, and she ended up at USC, and that's Jordan Jenkins, who said, who out and out said that growing up, Washington was her dream school. If this isn't, if this isn't a, if this is not raising a five alarm fire warning bells or a siren, if you forgive the reference to our pod, <laughs> you need to you need to turn the ears up because it's just a, it, and it's not going to get better. And I think the other thing that I want to point out is in Wynn's era, Oregon State started their rise, and Oregon State was. At, at the point where Tia Jackson was our coach, Oregon State and Washington were more roughly equivalent. We were dead in the water. And they hired Scott Ruick, and he turned it around, and he's won 20 games pretty much every year. He's made a run to the Final Four. Uh, obviously, Oregon hired Kelly Graves from Gonzaga, elevated Oregon from being dead in the water. And now we've got our in-state rivals, the Washington State Cougars, are flirting with the NCAA tournament after 20, I mean, we can talk 30. about this. 35 yeah. years. 35 years of what? We we had two, a two-decade-plus stretch where yep. Washington State yep. did not beat Washington, period. And we've gone from, like, 
So Cami Etheridge is in her third season, okay? And like like Hooligan said, like, you know, this is no disrespect to Washington State because what they've done with their program is admirable. And like, gosh, I, I love what, what they've done because it's just fun to watch. But they have no history of success. They just don't. It's, you know, for a while there, it wasn't even hard. We were, we were beating the Cougs by like 40 without even really breaking a sweat. Um, it, was, it was from about 1995 until 2013 that we did not lose to Washington State. It was 38, I feel like, 38 straight games. Yeah, um, it was been a while. And but... she comes in, in in three years, and she's an NCAA tournament team. So anyone who says, give Jody Wynn more time, she's got to get her system in place, I reject that because of what Hooligan just said about Scotty Ruick at, at OSU. His first year at Oregon State, he had to have open tryouts because he didn't, he could not feel the team. That's how bad things were in Corvallis. They thought about not having a team. In three years, he won 20 games. It is a fallacy to say she just needs more time. You just need to get her system in place. No. No, you don't. If you ha- if you really believe in your program and, and you really have buy-in from your kids and you get community involvement, you don't need that much time. It should happen within two to three years. Anything beyond four, you, you got to go. And we, and, we, and we talked about this earlier in the episode where, you know, it's the equivalent of being in year four for a basketball coach is the equivalent is equivalent to year six or seven for a football coach, because with smaller rosters, the bigger the impact of, of you know of dominant you know, dominant or great players that can truly turn a program around. If you put say a Kelsey Plum or a Chantel Osahor just by themselves on this roster, we're going to be it's going to change the program and we're going to probably win at least a handful more games. So in year four, and I will also call this out, and again, this is not a criticism of the players in any way, shape, or form, but in basketball, like, we've had walk-ons that have had to play at least semi-significant minutes every year of Jody Wynn's tenure. This isn't football with an 85-man roster where you have injuries and you can recruit and with, to use, and here I'm actually going to give Bob Gregory some credit, um, we've had a couple of walk-ons at his position that, or... Eddie! Eddie is a beast. And that's going to happen in football. You're going to get an under-the-radar kid that, that blows up. You're going to get a Jazz Davis. And I, Jazz is one of my favorite players of all time in UW women's basketball because she was unheralded. She was not you know, heavily recruited by any of the other Power 5 schools. And she came in here and she just killed it. And that can happen a little bit. But again, she was recruited and we got her out of mid-major programs, not walk-ons. You're not going to see a walk-on in women's basketball where there's 300-plus Division One schools the amount of talent, it's just not there. You cannot do that. And that, again, is another indication the recruitment efforts are failing and failing badly. F. Mac, I think you had something. Go for it. Yeah, what's, and sorry, sorry if we covered this. Um, what's her, con- what's her contract situation? Yeah, uh, Hooligan, I think she's a six year contract. This is your I four. Believe that's um, I feel like she had an automatic raise. After her second year, she got $25,000 raise. I believe she had another automatic raise after year three. So I believe she's getting paid in the ballpark of 450 And again, we don't know how much Derek's getting paid. Derek's her husband on staff. My guess is together they pull in about $600. Um, and I believe she's got two years left, if I'm not mistaken. She's, got, she's on a six-year contract, and this is finishing up year four. Which is also non-traditional. Most coaching deals are five. Uh, yep. Has Jen given her like a public endorsement? I know that she did so for Mike Hopkins, right? Because she got asked the question. I think it was by Softy. 
Um, and she basically was like, yeah, Mike Hoppe is the guy. She, you know, didn't give any... Has she done that for Jody, or has it been uh, quiet? I think so. I think you're... Like, she probably did that with Safi, but she also did that for an interview with Mike Burrell from Times. Okay. And she basically... He, she was asked by Mike, like, are you happy with the state of affairs for men's and women's basketball? And she said, no, I'm not. I'm really not. And Mike and I, Mike's my guy. Mike's safe. We're going to, we're going to sit down after the season. We're going to talk about what we can do. Mm. And she didn't say anything about Jody. Very, very specifically did not give Jody Wynn a public endorsement. And so I've got to think like, you know, as much as we all are disappointed with the way the men's basketball is doing, Mike Hopkins was able to salvage like, he didn't bleed out Matisse. He, he kept Noah, he kept Jaden, you know, uh, Jalen Noel. So like, he gets credit. But yes, those were Roma recruits, but he kept the guys there. Jody yeah. didn't do that. She, and, she had, she had a, a, the the conference player of the year this year is Arian McDonald. She played her freshman year at Washington, and now she's the all-time uh, leading scorer at the University of Arizona. So had she kept Ari? Where would we be? We don't know. And there's like rumors out there that Ari was always going to transfer. I don't really buy it. I don't really buy it because she didn't transfer. She didn't announce her transfer until Jody was here for two months. So um, we don't know, basically. We don't have stars system. Right, no stars. So um, to answer your point, I think that there's no vocal support for Jody and there has absolutely to your point been one for Mike Hopkins. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if Jody beating the, you know, the vaunted Colorado Buffaloes and day one of the tournament has saved her job. But, um, yeah, you know, well, I certainly I, think if it has, that's a sad statement of affairs as it uh, is. But you know what? They were the 11 seed. We love the 11 seed hooligan. Come on. <laughs> I don't love the 11 seed in the NCAA tournament. I for damn sure don't love it in a Pac-12 tournament. Like, I don't love. I mean, granted, with with how the night the 2019 season went, I don't love the, the our football team being ranked 11th. I want us top 10. But basketball in the conference, get out of here. Speaking of rankings, yeah. I think this would be an opportune time to to do a kind of a quick retrospective on recruiting under Jody Wynn. This will be lots of fun. And I will say she has improved. This has gotten better. Uh, current class, uh, we actually have ticked down a little bit from being ranked 16th. There have been some additional signings that have dropped us down to 19th, and we're currently third with the incoming class, uh, second to or third behind Stanford and OSU in the 2021s uh, to talk about recruits in across these classes. So uh, significant and possibly breakout star of the Pac-12 tournament, Talia Von Olhoffen out of Pasco, Washington at Oregon State. Uh, no no it, UW hat on the table. No UW hat on the table. Uh, by Prospect Nations, the eighth, uh, the, the number eight guard wing prospect in the country and overall rank of 24th, Oregon State. Uh, to give credit for who we did sign, we signed A.J. Murad out of Austin, Texas, a 6-1 wing. Uh, ranked 5th, overall 61st and 63rd, depending on if it's Prospects Nation or ESPN. Uh, Marisa Davis out of Surprise, Arizona, 20th ranked forward, uh, still a top 100 recruit. Uh, Jess Finney from Scottsdale, Arizona, 5'10 guard, uh, 103rd, or depending, and here's some difference between Prospects Nation and ESPN, 103rd or 94th, uh, 32nd ranked guard, or, yeah, 32nd ranked guard. Uh, Avery Van Sickle out of Colorado, 35th ranked guard, 112th or 85th, depending on the service, a, a UW commit. 
and then Olivia Pollard, a 6'2 wing out of Victoria in Australia, but again, a 6'2 player, but she's a wing, she's not a post. Um, in uh, other misses in-state, uh, Juliana Walker from this 2021 class, a 5'6 guard out of Tacoma, going to Syracuse. Let's go into 2020. Here's the list of players, and we've talked about a few of them already. Point guard, Haley Van Liff, 5'9", out of Kashmir, Washington, number two guard in the country, number two overall player in the country, goes to Louisville. Delea Daniels, Daniels, 6'3", post out of Seattle, Washington, from Garfield, fifth-ranked post in the country, 26th overall player in the country by Prospects Nation, 13th uh, by ESPN, goes to Cal, who is nowhere. Jordan Jenkins. They have one win this season. Jordan Total. Jenkins, forward from Kent, Washington. Uh, High school rank teammate forward. of Quay Miller. Yep, sixth ranked forward in the country, 28th overall prospect in the country, according to Prospects Nations. According to Prospect Nation, goes to USC. Megan Fiso, a 5'11 guard from Garfield. Are we detecting a trend here? Uh, number eight guard rank, number eight ranked guard in the country, an overall top 50 recruit by Prospects Nations at number 40, goes to Michigan. Uh, we're not done with 2020 yet, by the way. 6-3 uh, forward from Redmond, Washington, Keeley Burton goes to ASU. 21st ranked forward, still a top 100 recruit. Reagan Reed, a 5-7 point guard, position of need from Lake Stevens, goes to Boise State. Jada Noble, we did sign. 5-11 guard from Medical Lake, 27th ranked guard, 122nd overall. But I think she's transferring. I think she's left the team. We're not sure, but... It's, she's off the team. She's off the roster. Or she's not with the team currently. Uh, again, at a position of need. 6'7 post out of North Bend, Washington, Zila Heidi. 17th ranked post in the country. 104, a top 150 recruit goes to Cal. Um, we did in the the rest of the 2020 classes, who we did sign to Mia Sadler, who's proven to be a stud. And, you know, probably, a, a, I would say, is probably this this era's Jasmine Davis, a, a kid that's probably unheralded, but is, you know, and that's going to happen. Uh, obviously, uh, Alexis Whitfield, good prospect, top 150. No complaints. It's not the kids that we signed. We talk about it with football. It's not who's in the class that we're complaining about. It's who's not that could have been in the class when we're playing walk-ons. Uh, so for 2020, that that ranks up to a 32nd in the country class, 7th in the conference behind Oregon, Stanford, Oregon State, Cal, Arizona State, Zona, and SC. Going back to 24 to 2019, 34th class, 34th best class in the country, sixth in the conference behind Stanford, SC, UCLA, OSU, Utah, notable misses. Brenna uh, Maxwell. Brenna Maxwell, who's killing it at Utah, a guard out of Gig Harbor. Uh, Grace Arbor at Washington State, who went to West Seattle. Uh, we did sign Mia Lowry, Ali Bamberger, who's here, and then gone, one of the one and dones. That doesn't really happen in women's basketball, by the way. If it's if there's a one and done, it means that they went somewhere else because they're like, this ain't working. Uh, briefly to touch on 2018 without getting into the weeds on it. Uh, definitely a number of misses. We were not ranked in the top 60 classes in the country. We were in Prospects Nation on the cusp, also basically receiving votes behind Zona, Stanford, ASU, SC, UCLA, Oregon State, Cal, Oregon, Washington State, Utah, and Colorado. We were also beaten in that class, and this is after Jody Wynn had been on the job for a full year, by such illustrious women's basketball programs as Wyoming, SMU, Eastern Michigan, 
St. John's, New Mexico, and Boise State. Do we do we get the picture about Jody Wynn recruiting? She's gotten better, but she forgot how to do it for two years. Yeah. Putting on the court. I got it. <laughs> I get it. Man, that's frustrating, especially so many of the people that you mentioned, like that's in-state talent, right? If you just, Man. if like, if you look at like the conference, all conference team right now, there's, um, so first of all, uh, Lexi Hull out of Spokane, who is like before Jody Wynn's era, but Lexi Hull's out of Spokane. She's the sixth man of the year. Uh, Anna Wilson out of, out of Bellevue, but she grew up in Virginia and she's Russell Wilson's little sister or whatever. She's the defensive player of the year, co-defensive player of the year. She's out of Bellevue. Arian McDonald is the conference player of the year. She started her career at Washington. Um, and then you just look at, I think Delia Daniels was named uh, on the conference all-freshman team. Um, I think she was also named to the conference, like, all-conference team. And I believe uh, Lacey Hull was all-conference. I believe Brenda Maxwell was, obviously, Arian McDonald. Um, it's basically, like, kind of to your point earlier, Hooligan, that if you if you simply get not 100%, if you get 75% of the best players in Washington to stay in Seattle, you're going to be a top four team in the conference. You're going to compete and probably do well in the NCAA tournament because the talent is rich here. There's a history of women's basketball here. And the kids just need to believe that this is a, a destination school to launch their careers. And there's no reason for them to believe that right now. Absolutely none. none. Oh, and by the way, we've also, um, it was briefly mentioned earlier in the episode, but as a as another tie that UW has failed to capitalize on, a two-time WNBA champion is out of our program from the Seattle Storm that just got traded to, for bigger money for the New York Liberty. Did we capitalize on that at all? And oh, by the way, not only is she out of our program as a player, she also worked in, the, in our program as a video coordinator. I think but that's no another miss that that hooligan. We probably we talked about it offline a little bit when um, early in kind of Kelsey Plum's career that like they didn't really talk, they didn't really hype up Kelsey Plum in her rookie season at all because it, to me it seemed like well I didn't I didn't have any part as Jody Wynn. I didn't have any part coaching her so why should I own her as a player and it's like she is she is such a marketing tool for this program. She is a, a volunteer, I think, assistant coach at the University of Arkansas right now for her former head coach. She's somebody that is that breathes women's basketball, that she wants the gig. She wants to have more experience as a coach. Why you would not value that, why you would not hype that up every waking minute of the day is beyond me. And certainly, again, Tammy Whitcomb as well, um, someone that was unheralded, came out and just played in Europe forever, played, sorry, not in Europe, but in Australia forever, and then made a name for herself and came over here as a total stud. And why we're not hyping that up, or it took us a couple of years to hype that up, I don't understand. Yeah. It, and, and, and to the point of, like, the star system and, and you know, that Jody needed to recognize to recruit at this level, it's, like, easiest marketing pitch for point guards that it took her three years to sign, be the next Kelsey Plum. Like, the other thing that I want to call out, and again, here's an issue of why it's a failure in recruiting and, and why we're not capitalizing on this market and, and, and the university. For football players and for men's basketball players that have league futures, the academic piece is, it, is it's frosting, but it's not the cake. It's not like, you know, and, and you, I've said it many, many times that we can talk about built for life and built for the league, and that's great. 
the academic value of a degree from the University of Washington. Hey, U.S. News World Report, number two public university in the country, a top 10 university in the world. You don't think that matters for athletes that even if they do go pro, let's face it, women's basketball players are not going to be set for life by a w from making a WNBA contract. They're going to have to keep working. And whether that's to go into coaching, as Kelsey sounds like she wants to do, or pursuing other opportunities, the value of a degree from the University of Washington means a shit ton. And we yes. can't sell it in this program. Well, and I think that the reason that we can't sell it is that I don't, I mean, I'm just reading the tea leaves from her body language and the things that she said to the press is that Jody Wynn doesn't want to be in Seattle. She is a Southern California girl. She is a USC product. And she lamented loudly how the home prices here are so crazy and how it was so hard to put the kids up here. And she was the one who accepted the job because like, you and I, all of us know what the University of Washington has to offer. We can all go out there and sell it to any kid on the street. But if your head coach is constantly looking over her shoulder back to SoCal, you don't think those kids can sense it? Of course they can. That's why her whole recruiting base is out of Southern California right now. This is the first time to my recollection in 30 years of following the program that not a single staff member on her staff that's paid is tied to the Northwest in any way, shape, or form. She's got her husband, who's also South Cal native. She's got Paul Reed, who's out of Arizona. And she's got someone who was out of the coaching gig for five years as her third assistant after Michelle Augustavo Fisher left to be a full-time mom. So, like, who has the relationships with these kids uh, and these coaches locally? Where Where's the value on that? Because what I'm seeing here is that she's valuing the kids that what she knows is comfortable for her, which is Southern California and California in general. It's certainly not the Seattle area. Yeah, Matt, go ahead. Yeah, so you know, more casual observer of Utah women's basketball here. Okay, so you've, you've convinced me that we need to move on. We have a magic wand in our hands. Who do we want? Hooligan, you go first. Uh, the easy answer, uh, and I have, and anyone that follows me on Twitter knows this, it's Lisa Fortier. <laughs> uh, she took over for Kelly Graves when he left for Oregon. She's kept, she sustained the level of success at Gonzaga continues to win 20 plus games every year recruits a ton of kids in state would in my mind that like there's there's no guarantees ever you, you will find people that you know could fall flat on their face but in my mind it's a no-brainer it not only weakens a program that's passed us um during the win era if not probably a little bit before um but it's when we talk about the current staff not having any ties not having connections to washington the immediate way to get it turned around and get it turned around as fast as possible is to rely on in-state recruiting. And Lisa Forte has got a brand. She's an ex excellent coach. She's in-state. You can give her a raise from what she's making on Gonzaga. She can take on a, a, a big five program. And, and it's unlike Jody Wynn, who like, oh, I almost beat Oregon State once and I made the tournament once. She's had Gonzaga in the tournament, if not every damn, if not every year she's been there, pretty damn close. Yeah, um, I've every time Gonzaga plays a Pac-12 school. Um, I've seen her go to Maples, uh, which is, as we all know, especially if you follow women's basketball, Maples Pavilion is is a place that if you're going in there and placing Stanford, you're not going to win. You're probably going to get blown out. And that team takes on her personality and that's scrappy, that's tough nose, that's I don't back down from your five-star talent, Stanford. 
and they pushed them into overtime. They lost, but like this is a team that, like you know they're Stanford's a top five team. And last year they went into Maples and they just gave they gave Stanford a run for their money. And you could see that Stanford knew that they could lose that game. That is the kind of attitude we need in Seattle. We need no fear. We need scrappiness. We need mental toughness. And we need kids that really believe what their coach is selling them. Um, she's getting paid about $300,000 at Gonzaga. Um, we should be able to, to pay her twice that if we're going to be competitive, if we're serious about uh, having a great team here, if we want to not bargain shop, if we want to get someone who knows what she's doing, has the relationships with local kids and local coaches, we can certainly afford that, especially because we saved some money by hiring Bob Gregory. So um, we should be able to do that. Um, the other the other name that I have floating around my desk is Jared Olson, and he's at um, California Baptist University. And uh, has finished no lower than third place in most of his uh, eight seasons at Cal Baptist. He's got a, a 78% winning record in conference. Um, that's pretty good. Um, you know, he, he doesn't have a whole lot of kids on his roster from the Pacific Northwest, but he's in Northern California. So uh, that's somebody that I would be willing to hedge on a little bit if, if Lisa Fortier turns out to say no, I, I still would like to full court press, go at her with everything that we have, because she's definitely, I agree with Hooligan hundred percent. She is who I want on Montlake. Um, and then I'd like, you know, for a third option, I'd like to go back to old faithful Mark Campbell at, um, at Oregon. He's the associate head coach. He is a great recruiter. I think he could probably hire people who can teach him how to coach a little bit better, maybe. But he's somebody that I'd be willing to hedge on. And if we wanted to bargain shop, that's who I'd go to. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's definitely, there's quality assistance across the, across the conference. You could bring back kids with ties to the program that could teach, po you know, could teach post play. Chantel Ozor. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, another rising star in the profession in terms of maybe a top assistant, Katie Faulkner down at Oregon State. Uh, the other name that um, when it became clear to me, year and a half ago two years ago that i threw out as a potential um you know just as this is this is the out of left field um but there has been some precedent in terms of a player of a similar stature united states national team point guard turned coach with a ton of success which was and this is the predecessor to who i'm going to mention don staley who took over at temple and then has turned south carolina into a national power um also, somebody with you want to talk about the ability to recruit in Seattle if she wants to if she wants to go into coaching and isn't a coach on the floor already. Uh, the Iron Woman, Sue Bird, uh, has immense ties to the Pacific Northwest. Uh, you want to talk about a brand and a home run in terms of? I mean, we don't. The, the question with Sue is, does she want to coach? Uh, if the answer is yes, that is a conversation that Jen Cohen absolutely must have. The other piece of the equation is that if we move on from Jody this season, is Sue going to take a full-time job and come back and play? Like, is she going to play for the Storm and coach the team? If, if there's, but, but if you can put that brand on your bench, uh, or in any way, shape, or form, uh, if it's not 40A, uh, that's a conversation. Like I said, that I think Jen needs to have because the, the ties, the, the basketball knowledge that Sue has is just absolutely insane. Um, but but that's just another name to, to throw out there and, and marinate on Husky Nation. Okay. And she's been to Heckhead hundreds of you know I don't know if it's hundreds of times. She's, but she went to every single game at home for Plum season, senior season. 
Yeah. So. That would be rad. I mean, like, I, I don't know about her coaching chops, but she's like a Seattle sports icon, right? Like, that would be so rad. Yeah. But if you're ever going to get a, a, you know, for me with that, it's like if you're ever going to get somebody of that comes right out of a playing career into a head coaching position, the position that nine times out of ten that would be most suitable for that is point guard. And again, there's a precedent because that's exactly what happened with Don Staley. Don Staley and, left, retired. And also Lindsay Whelan at um, the University of Minnesota. She, I don't know how they're doing, but she, I think she's a, she's more of a three. She's not necessarily a point guard. I mean, maybe, maybe she's a point guard. I can't remember. She's a point. Okay, she's there a... you go. So she, she played at Minnesota. She played for the Lynx, Minnesota Lynx, and now she's head coach at the University of Minnesota. So. I was just going to ask that, Leah. Like, what's the, what's the precedent for like former WNBA players being college coaches? Because mm-hmm. you, we see that, um, we see that phenomena in uh, college football, right? Where it's like, hey, you have like a former NFL player and the sales pitch is, Hey, I've been there. I know how to develop you to get you yeah. to that level. Right. Yeah. That's a selling point. In addition to what we already have at UW, we all know yeah. that, um, that would be a, a interesting element too. And I, I mean, my assumption is that it's not that it's not that prevalent, but you named one. I don't know if there's um, others there, you know, uh, so we used to have someone on staff who wasn't necessarily a you know a legend at the Storm, but she, she played several years, and she was the all-time leading scorer at the University of Arizona, and that was India Barnes. Mm-hmm. And then she left after the Final Four run to take over Arizona. They're um, watching their game as I talk to you right now. They're number two in the conference, and like, like I said before, uh, they've got the uh, Arian McDonald to transfer out there, and she's now their all-time leading scorer. So uh, fair to say they're doing pretty well. They should, they should be a top three seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, it's it's not like, you know, a for sure thing because Cynthia Cooper was also the head coach at USC and she's a legend in um, the WNBA ranks and and she was kind of like just okay at USC. They weren't bad, they just weren't elite. Right. So um, it's certainly an idea. I I have my doubts as to whether or not Sue wants the job and is prepared for how much of a full time job that truly is, especially if you're not done playing basketball yourself. Um, but I, I, again, I echo that with Mulligan. It's definitely worth a conversation. If she wants in the door to talk to Jen, you should have that conversation for sure. Yeah. And, and like, and that's my question is, is, is just as Sue wanted. I think um, I could also see Sue being excellent at, you know, in getting into media or honestly, Sue can kick her feet up and do whatever the hell she wants. Yeah. She's earned it. And, and, and with, it's not a it's not a money thing, right? Like her and her partner, are like super successful athletes, and mm-hmm. like it's not going to be a money thing. Yeah, and I think thing. and I think you're right, Leah. Like it's yeah, I mean she's gonna it, it, it's hard it's hard work, right? If she's if she wants to do it, it's going to be hard work, and it's going to be only because she's really passionate about it, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I it think was, if, if it's if it's her passion, she will kick yeah. it. Yeah. Like she will, she will absolutely nail it. But it's like, does she want to do it? Yep. I mean, I don't know. Maybe she just wants to do something else in the next part of her career. I could see her because she does a lot of color for um, the NCAA tournament. She's on ESPN quite a bit, doing color commentary, usually with UConn games. Um, so that could be. I know exactly. Boo. Um, 
that could be more her route. Maybe it's something that she wants to do for fun. Maybe it's something that's a little bit less stressful than a full-time coaching gig. And more power to her. She does. She has nothing to prove. So. Yeah. So I. Yeah, exactly. It's it's whether she wants it. If if she wants it, as as Leah said, I think she she'd absolutely kill it. But. Um, but but there's a significant reason why for me that 48 is the top of the list. Proven success, proven success as an in-state coach, proven success as an in-state recruiter. Um, I'm not a, I, <laughs> anything we can ever do to weaken Gonzaga programs, I'm a fan of. Um, maybe it's because, you know, I, I grew up as a Husky basketball fan, at least on the men's side, uh, during the, the Brandon Roy, Nate Robinson, Loren, early Same. Lorenzo Romar era. Uh, as well as I'm a product of two Seattle University graduates, and Gonzaga and Mark Few are the reason that Seattle University didn't get into the West Coast Conference, um, because Mark Few didn't want a Seattle-based program uh, to have that level of, uh, to be in that tier of a conference and have to compete uh, with a school of a similar, you know, Jesuit background profile. So, yeah, <laughs> higher 48, fixed Husky women's basketball. Yep. Leah, anything else we need to... Um, I just, I can't think of anything. I just think that like, you know, if you think about like the university of Washington as a brand, you know, which we are, and, you know, we're about to head into NCAA conference or sorry, NCAA tournament season. Um, and people, even if they're not necessarily like super tuned into women's basketball, they might have the TV on and we're not going to see that block over on that team, on that TV at all. There's a missed opportunity. Anytime that you have the opportunity to see the block W on the TV and see Washington playing and representing our school on the national stage is a big deal. You know, it's why like softball is so good for our brand because they're going to go to Oklahoma City and they're going to probably stay there for a week or two. And even people who don't necessarily watch softball during the regular season, they're going to be tuned in that week and they're going to see a lot of purple and gold. They're going to see a lot of wins. And they're going to see a lot of style. And it's a missed opportunity for the brand at UW to not be serious about getting Washington into the tournament and having them have a long stay. Because if we're not there, Oregon is, Oregon State is, you know, Stanford, Arizona, they're all there. You and never know. It's you never huge, know. It's a huge swing and a miss to not care if we're there or not. Yeah, you, you never know. The, the, the t-shirt manufacturers for the NCAA tournament could do like they did the first time the Cougar men made the tournament and accidentally put our logo on the tournament shirts. It, it could happen, but that's about the only way we're going to make the tournament. Yeah. They didn't actually believe Washington State was going to go. They were hedging. Um, but on the subject of RW, um, uh, it's also something I say on Twitter on the time, but please, I, I get branding and consistency of font and all of those things. But let's get back to bring back to our classic W, please. It, it's what the programs were built on. Let's bring it back. Um, yes, everybody, let's get some alternate unis for the women that just have the W like the men. Mm -hmm. I, that would be great. I, although I would say I, I just want to get our, our see our women's team getting back to earning more W to to achieving yes. more Ws. That's that's the bottom yes. line for me. Uh, everybody, W should stand for win. And not, not W Y N N. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. I can tell you that, like, as as a you know casual fan, 
like the I remember vividly like just like run into the tournament and I and I watched every single game right because I'm passionate about UW sports and you know it gives you a reason right it gives you a reason to tune in more um, and there's a halo effect you're absolutely right Leah like when people see the purple and gold and the W like on TV, they see it on ESPN. It doesn't matter if it's softball or if it's football or if it's basketball or whatever sport it is like that exposure. Right. And I'm, it's new. It's going to be news to Jen that we, you know, that we are a brand, <laughs> but it's true. I thought only <laughs> it's Oregon true. Was brand. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Like we, like we are too. And we have to think of it that way. Right. And we can't, uh, we can't be complacent and just say, Oh, because right. it's a, you know, there's, sports that are revenue sports and sports that aren't revenue sports like that doesn't matter right it's still your brand yep yep and, and I, I, to that end i think that the other thing that we need to be really focused on and attuned to is that um you know when when the teams aren't good the parents don't really like want to spend money and take their kids to games and that's a huge miss too because you know speaking from my experience my dad i was growing i grew up and my dad had tickets to football since i was very small but i was never allowed to go because they were very expensive so he took me to women's basketball because that was very inexpensive and it was less of a time commitment. And that is where the seeds of my fandom started. At those Olympic sporting events, that is so important to have little kids there. Even if they're not watching the game, they're, they're passionate about, I'm here, I can see these kids, like I can envision myself wearing purple and gold. I'm a local kid, my parents bringing me here. It's a fun time. And if you're not even competitive, you're not you're missing those opportunities to build young fandom. And that's where people like us three, that's where we all probably came came up in, is that we were indoctrinated from a very young age probably. And it's just deep seated. And if you don't that's a missed opportunity too. It's like you know, the branding is a missed opportunity and also building young fans is a huge swing and a miss. And if you're not even competitive, you're missing that opportunity. Because it's it's if kids are athletes or not, it's applications to the university. It's the people that are going to be diehards and go to those games. Right. It's going to be the 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 young ties the that are going to be the donor base and keep right. right. Be able like to I decided for- when I was ten that I was going to attend UW just from watching women's basketball, and now I'm a donor. I'm an alumni and a donor. So it's like you, you think that doesn't matter. It matters, you guys. <laughs> like it, Jen needs to know that that kind of stuff matters a lot if you care about your fiscal bottom line it matters a ton yeah and not just to jen's bottom line but to, to president kause's bottom line yes yes you want to talk about the academic cloud of a university you get more applications you can be even more selective but that's a whole other conversation but sports are the you know sports ugh, i've been talking too much today uh sports are the front porch of the university and when you have better sports programs you have more interest in the university, you have more people buying gear. Again, particularly in an era of COVID, and yes, I understand that revenues drop because nobody could go to games, but if our sports programs are doing well, you've got more people that are like, you know what, I'm gonna be sitting home, but I'm gonna still be rocking my Husky gear. I'm gonna go get more of it because, hey, I've got games to watch. Our teams are in the tournament, our teams are kicking ass. So um, before we, lest we, you know, uh, before we forget, let's shout out volleyball because they are on an absolute tear right now. They just, just stomped Oregon at MKA today. Just smoked them. So yeah, and yeah. Oregon was ranked too, aren't they? weren't they like they were Oregon 20. like sixteen was number or seven? Yeah, yeah we're seven. They were like 20, yeah. That that third set was not close. 
they just like the Huskies played all backups and they still crushed them. It was awesome. In that in the, on that garbage floor too. The open face diaper? What? Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> so trash. So trash. <laughs> All right. I think we should wrap it up. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's a good note to end on. <laughs> everybody, thanks for having me, you guys. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Uh, everybody, thanks for bearing with us. We know that this is going to be a very, very long lesson. Hope you enjoy it on your weekend. Uh, we will be back next week with uh, a mailbag episode, so get your questions in either to the Sound the Siren uh, Twitter account or to soundthesirenpod at gmail.com. Uh, we will see you very soon with a mailbag pod and more content and special guests coming from there. Thanks again. Go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs>